Hello and welcome to Media Made, the show in which we, year by year, explore the movies, music, and TV that most invaded our lives. I'm your host, hypnotherapist Rod, and I'm joined by... It's Brittany. Yeah, I went there. There's a feud. And I'm I'm in on it. But what's your name? Oh, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting more and more out there with these nicknames. <laughs> who, who even knows anymore? <laughs> um, Were you thrown off by the first one? Yeah, <laughs> I was. Anyway... So, hi, welcome to the show. Let us If this is your first episode, let me explain. Uh, Jess and I, we talk about movies, music, and TV here, uh, year by year. Today, we're talking about the music of 1999. So what, we've, so, what we've done is we've looked at a list of every music album released in the year 1999, and we've decided which one each of us had listened to the most in our lives. Uh, the idea being that we're going to be talking about the albums that, like, you know, more, most informed our lives from 1999, you know? Like, what built us as people, uh, what we're uh, attracted to, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Whatever form of invasion it takes. Um, Yeah, so, you know, if if you've listened to any of our music episodes from the last, uh, you know, 10 10 years or so of of shows, uh, you kind of know what the pattern's going to be by this point, you know? Jess's album's going to be very mainstream. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Pop-oriented. Something that everyone should be familiar with if they grew up in this era. Yeah, uh, you didn't know who Lauren Hill was, though. I didn't, but <laughs> apparently it was huge. Uh, and then my album is uh, Dream Theater. <laughs> it's giving it away. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's uh, progressive rock, obscure rock and metal uh, acts, stuff like that. You know, art rock even. Mm, art. It's just obscure rock and graffiti metal music. Art. Yeah. Graffiti rock. That's the thing. When it comes to music, I like the the niche. I like the obscure. I like the experimental. Uh, that doesn't mean I didn't also listen to your type of music at the time. Your music? What do you mean? What's that supposed to mean? D- we'll talk about it in segment two. Oh, dear. Uh, but uh, we're going to start out with my album of 1999. Uh, we're going to jump right into the life and legacy of my favorite band. And what is that album? Released October 26, 1999. The fifth studio album and surprisingly first concept album from this progressive metal group that is metropolis part two scenes from a memory by dream theater oh i hate that i don't like it close your eyes and begin to relax take a deep breath and let it out slowly concentrate on your breathing With each breath, you become more relaxed. Imagine a brilliant white light above you. Focus in on this light as it flows through your body. Allow yourself to drift off as you fall deeper and deeper into a more relaxed state of mind. Now, as I count back from 10 to 1, you will feel more peaceful and calm. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, You will enter a safe place where nothing can harm you. Five, four, three, two. If at any time you need to come back, all you must do is open your eyes. One. Safe in the light that surrounds me. Yep, so that is uh, the first song from my album of 1999. That is scene one, colon, regression. (laughs) Uh, I'll explain why the songs are told in scenes in a little bit. But, yep, uh, 
It, it has. It, this is a concept album, a, a, a rock opera, if you will. Not our first. Not our first, but it is our first by Dream Theater. Yes. Uh, so if you haven't listened to any of our music episodes up to now, Dream Theater is my favorite band. Um, when we talk about music that invades your life, usually if you have a favorite, they invaded your life. It's true. It's just It is what it is. Um, so I, I've listened to every Dream Theater album. I, I enjoy them. So, you know, uh, more more often than not, uh, my album of each year will probably be Dream Theater or Dream Theater adjacent, as it <laughs> has been for a while. This is true. Uh, but it is what it is. Um, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I have no shame in it. I'm should not. I be? Should I be ashamed since there's like no through line in my likes? I, I am I just disloyal? Do I not have favorites? Pop and R and B has been your pretty like pretty like standard. I do. I have not had a like and returning again for the seventeenth time. No, but we did Whitney a few times. We did. Uh, Whitney was. Like, we did Michael three times. Michael Jackson. And though I like those albums, they're my parents. So anyway, um, yeah. So Dream Theater is my uh, it's a progressive metal band from New York. They uh, tend to do weird, obscure, uh, experimental, uh, you know, out there music sometimes. Uh, and this is uh, what many consider to be their best album. Oh wow! Yeah, it, it, for me, it's top Five. top three. No, oh, like okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm like some days this. I think my favorite Dream Theater album is Images and Worse, which we talked We've about. Done that, yeah, yeah, I talked about ninety two. 92 music, but uh, this one is really good. Uh, mm. It's sort of like the beginning of their what I would consider what I would consider their golden period. You know, mm. it's like the 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 lineup I most associate Dream Theater with. Uh, it's like the beginning of a long string of albums that are just excellent. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I mean, it had a very strong opening that first song, even though it had the freaking stereo tick ticking in both of my ears at different times, and I hated that. It was a very soothing voice that brought us into the regression. Who was that? Uh, actually, that is the voice of record producer Terry Brown playing a character named the Hypnotherapist. Because, as I mentioned, it's a concept album. Uh, it tells a story. And there are characters. And uh, basically, you're told the tale that spans two different lifetimes. Ooh. Yeah. Um, and we'll get, into all, we'll get all into the specifics in a little bit. But yeah, just so you know, this tells a story of... Um, I think I actually have the Wikipedia synopsis, at least from the beginning here, right? <laughs> you want me to read that? Yeah. Okay. Ooh, that was loud. Yeah. Metropolis Part 2, Scenes from a Memory, opens with Nicholas, a troubled man going through past life regression therapy in a hypnotic trance induced by a hypnotherapist. We heard that voice. Right. He begins to see a girl named Victoria Page in a life that feels strangely familiar. Was he Victoria Page? It, that that's the gimmick. The story uh -huh. kind of relates to past life, you know, uh, reincarnation, mm -hmm. um, that that kind of thing. Right. And we'll get more into it uh, a little later as we talk about some of the songs. We'll, we'll do a little sampling. Okay. So obviously, this is the first time you've heard of uh, scenes from a memory. Right? Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> as with, if, if I just if we continue to talk about Dream Theater, it's <laughs> always it's always going to be the same answer. Yes. Like, this is the you first time. Plug, you should just plug this moment in. This is the first time I heard. Every time. Every time, just plug that that one right there. Keep that sound bite. Well, let me tell you how I discovered this album. Uh, because this is the second Dream Theater album that I ever listened to. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. So I discovered, I've talked about this. I discovered Dream Theater through Rock Band 2, mm -hmm. the video game. Uh, and then by that point, I was like interested in their sound. So I like, you know, would pick up a, like a single here and there. And then uh, there was one day where I was sitting, I was a, it was a junior in high school. I was sitting in English class, AP English language. And uh, 
the guy in front of me, his name was Luke. We struck up a conversation and I mentioned that I was listening to a band called Dream Theater and he got very excited and he said, have you heard scenes from a memory? You know, and I, I, this guy never struck me as the kind of guy who was listening to Dream Theater, mm -hmm. but we connected over that. And yeah. I said, no, I haven't. So he came to school the next day with a flash drive and gave it to me. And he said, here's scenes from a memory. <laughs> so I took it home. Did you say thanks for the memory? No. Uh, uh And I listened to the whole album while I did my chores that day. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Because I think it was a Friday and that was always chores day. Mm. You know, and uh, I basically had a routine it was you know it was just like all the chores downstairs mm -hmm. you know they take uh, an album yeah just put it in and i was like really excited because it was like oh wow this is actually telling a story and you know it, yeah it, it, it i couldn't like fully grasp all of the details of the story because mm -hmm. it's still through music but i thought it was i'd never heard anything like it before you know and that's pretty cool. Did you ever, did you, do you have a friendship with this Luke kid or did you just give him his flashback? Try no, no, we, we were friends throughout like high, like junior and senior year of high school. Cool. Like he was always a cool guy. Good job, Luke. Yeah. Luke. Friend for high school. Yeah. He's, he's one of those guys, you know, <laughs> you, you have friends in high school and then you all move away and you never see him again. Yeah. It's like, you know, I hope, I wish him the best, uh, but I have not spoken to him in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, why don't I get everybody up to speed on where Dream Theater's been? Uh, we haven't we haven't had time to miss them. We're we're up to speed. Uh, yeah. So if you want to <laughs> listen to other Dream Theater albums, like if you want to get the full story, uh, eighty nine music, ninety two music, ninety four music, ninety seven music. Uh, wow. Yeah. It's a lot of a lot of a lot of Dream Theater in this show. Fanboy. That's what it is. <laughs> no um, shame. Well, let me, so this should be quick. Let's get some background. Okay. As we talked about in our 1997 music episode, progressive metal band Dream Theater finally released their fourth album, Falling Into Infinity, after years of tension with record label Elektra Records. Do you recall this? I do. I remember it. I remember the heated songs that came out of that. Mike Portnoy, their drummer, wrote some really angry songs directed at the record label. Yeah. It's like, I hate you. I hate being told to wait by you. And I hate you trying to control. My our... life is a commodity and so is my death. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, Falling Into Infinity came out of a dark place. That was a dark period for the band in, yeah. that, in the late 90s period. Uh, Dream Theater continued to tour in support of Falling Into Infinity until December 1998. And as we talked about in our 1998 music episode, drummer Mike Portnoy and guitarist John Petrucci branched out by forming side project Liquid Tension Experiment, which offered them much more creative freedom. Yeah. So if Ditch I, the rest of the band, let the two of us do something fun. Yeah, like and we talked about Liquid Tension Experience first album. They mm -hmm. were allowed to just kind of do whatever they want. Yeah. It was uh, necessary. Jam, write crazy out there songs with just uh, as many ideas as they could throw at the wall. Yeah. And they were given all the support from their indie label. Mm-hmm. There's a far cry of what they were doing in Dream Theater where they were basically being told, hurry up and wait. Also, don't do anything out of the mainstream. <sighs> Can you like maybe write some radio friendly songs? <laughs> In fact, well, let's hire a, a hit maker to write songs for you oh, that will make them more uh, radio friendly. Oh, Mr. Child. Desmond Child, yeah. Anyway, LTE afforded Portnoy and Petrucci the opportunity to work with keyboardist Jordan Rudis, whom they had offered a Dream Theater job in 1994, mm -hmm. if you recall. And uh, they found that working and writing music with him was quite easy. Because we, Liquid Tension Experiment, that first album was written in a week. Performed in a week, or recorded in the same week. Written and recorded in one week. 
Uh, and so, yeah, it was pretty clear they had really good creative chemistry yeah. with Jordan Rudis. They're like, come home with us. It, that, that's exactly <laughs> Mom, what Mom, can happened. we keep him? Yep. <laughs> so in early 1999, Portnoy, Petrucci, and the rest of Dream Theater offered Rudis a spot in the band. Kicking to out. To which he accepted. Uh, <laughs> they then fired their current keyboardist, Derek Sherinian, via conference call. Ooh, Derek. Yeah. I'm uh, sorry, my boy. So I, I was like looking into old interviews about that. And uh, apparently Portnoy and Petrucci have stated that while it was an uncomfortable and unattractive situation, they didn't want to ask Derek to fly out from L.A. to U- to New York just to be fired. Ugh. So it's sort of like they were trying to do him a favor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Oof. And he's gone on to do. We talked about it. Derek has gone on to do great things mm-hmm. uh, outside of yeah. the dream theater sphere. And he's worked with other people like he's worked with Mike Portnoy again mm-hmm. he's he's you know so is it necessarily hard i'm i'm sure it was hard feelings at that time yeah but, you but know, they've all reconciled they're, yeah. yeah they're they're professionals they, 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 it happens in a band he also heard um rudis play and he's like i get it still salty but i get it with rudis on board dt began working on their next album in response to the tense production of their prior album mike portnoy gave the label an ultimatum Either the band gets complete creative control over the new record with no outside producers, or the band was through. What was their contract like? Could they do that? He he, he took he you know he shot his shot and they conceded and the band got to work. Nice. He was like they were like, look, do it our way or we will pull a prince. We will be here until the label is done, and then we will go. We have our fans. <laughs> Honestly, it, I think like the fact that. They did. They tried to play ball with the label. They did what the label told them to do with their previous album, which was supposed to be more radio friendly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is when that album released, it didn't sell particularly well and people yeah. weren't happy with it. Yeah. So it sort of proved the band right. Yeah. And it was like, hey, let us just do our thing. And you signed us to do our thing. They And they got to do their thing. Nice. Portnoy and Petrucci, serving as the sole producers on the new album, knew that they wanted to create a concept of some kind, right? They, they wanted to basically have this album kind of be its own big thing, right? right? Not a group of songs, like, not a group of separate songs, but a complete package. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ultimately decided that the album as a whole would serve as a sequel to the song Metropolis Part One, The Miracle and the Sleeper, which had been featured on their 1992 album, Images and Words. Right. And we did talk about that song when we covered that album. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember that at all? No. I mean, I remember it and going like, this is, what is this sleeper? Is it part of a, is it a, a we, we had is a lot of something? questions because yeah. the, the lyrics in that song are very abstract and John Petrucci has even said nowadays, he doesn't even know what the song's about, <laughs> you know? So they were basically taking themes presented in that first song mm-hmm. and trying to expand them into a real story with characters and a plot and drama. Drama. Yeah. Although the part one in the song's title had started out as a joke by Petrucci, the song began to grow in popularity and fan demand for a sequel increased. Hmm. Obviously, it's like with progressive metal bands or with progressive rock bands. If you've got a song title that has a part number in it, you know, like Rush did that sometimes. It was like, don't tease me. Give me the whole thing. Yep. Yep. So uh, I think it was like, yeah, you know, we were always going to revisit the concept with a part two. It was just a matter of when. Yeah. The band thus began to realistically consider a follow-up, given this new opportunity. That sequel song was originally conceived as a 20-minute epic for the Falling Into Infinity album. Oh. 
They, there's a demo out there. It exists. Huh. Yeah. Uh, however, it was cut from the album at an early state before the song was even completed. You know, so it was just an instrumental. Um, funny thing, like when you listen to that demo, a lot of the DNA that would be present in the full album that we're going to talk about today, it's there in that demo. You know, it's just like you've listened to the demo. Yeah, movements and, and riffs and uh, it's it, a lot of it's there. They didn't really have to do like they obviously had to like expand and get bigger. But uh, I feel like a lot of the musicality, like the, the, the little nuggets of ideas are all there. Mm. It's very interesting. That's pretty cool. So, what was it? It's sort of like George Lucas. He wrote 15 pages and that was supposed to be nine Star Wars movies. Sort of. Yeah. It's <laughs> like you took a 20 minute song and turned it into a, a full album, an album of 11 tracks or whatever. Yeah. So in 1999, with Creative Control on their side, the band set out to flush out that demo into a full album, which would become Metropolis Part 2, Scenes from a Memory. They got Control in 1999 and put this out in 1999? They, yes, they did. Okay. They, they, they I, this. I mean, they put out a whole album. Well, half of them put out a whole... No, more than half of them, because by this time, Rudis is in the game, put out a whole album in a week, so they yeah. could make this happen. Speaking anyway. of that, here we go. Metropolis Part 2 was recorded at Bear Track Studios in Suffern, New York, where the band had recorded their Images and Words album years before. Recording began in February 1999, and the album was finished within eight months. Wow. I mean, I'm, we're obviously not artists, right? But, like, that's work. <laughs> but also, it's like these these guys have, like, a clear chemistry and work ethic. Mm -hmm. And they're just like, yeah, we, we, we want to make music. Let yeah. us make it. We're artists. <laughs> for this concept album dream theater drew inspiration from classic concept albums and rock harbors of the past including the who's tommy genesis's the lamb lies down on broadway roger waters amused to death queensryche's operation mind crime the beatles sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band marillion's D misplaced childhood and pink floyd's the wall and the final cut all right yeah so it's like if you know progressive rock music that's a who's who of progressive rock greats and those are like some of the best albums ever written. Was the Who's on that list? Yeah, Tommy. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's like they knew they wanted to make a story album. And so they picked out the best story albums that they could think of. You That's know? pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can hear a lot of the influence in a lot of the songs. Like I, th I th we'll talk a bit more about that. Um, but that is a that is a common observation slash criticism of Dream Theater is they wear their influences on their sleeves. Hmm. Uh, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> it wouldn't. No. Like, I mean, it doesn't bother me because I I can't. I don't know any of their inspirations. I wouldn't be able to hear it. But that's Metropolis Part Two: Scenes from a Memory. Nice. Yeah. Well, look at all that. Look at all that information we got in there. Yep. And uh, yeah, it was like they were given the green light, so they made an album, and it was good. <laughs> uh, yeah. So let's talk about the plot. Because what I did was I picked four songs for us to talk about. Two of the songs are what I consider plot songs. And two uh, songs are what I consider, uh, I don't know, just oddities. Or uh, they're, they're not specifically about the who, what, when, where of the story. Mm. But more like, you know. S filler. Filler tracks. Not, no, they're not filler. Like, they, they serve mm. a purpose. Filler episodes. They're just... Not explicitly tied down to the plot. Mm, I don't know. They're, filler. Stop it. <laughs> anyway, they're also very good, so stop that. <laughs> Do you think uh, the the characters, the plot in this is better than uh, Star Wars? 
Yes. <laughs> there's a there actual there's actual character development and you, you know a mystery. Do you care about the characters here more than you care about Anna Kane? Let's talk about some songs. All right. So the first song we're going to talk about today is called Scene Three, Part Two, Fatal Tragedy, uh, which these every song title in this album starts with a scene. You know, scene one, scene two, scene three, mm-hmm. and some scenes are cut up into two pieces. So this is part two of scene three. Got it. Yes. And, and the it's song very Shakespearean. The, and the title is Fatal Tragedy. Yeah, so, uh, you know, definitely a different sound than some other Dream Theater stuff we'd heard in the past, you know. Yeah. Uh, Like, I I feel like James Labrie, the singer, is really pulling out all the stops with this album. You know, he sa- he hasn't sounded this good since Images and Words in 1992. Like, he just has a very, like, his audio is clean. He's hitting all the notes. Like, there's, it's very dynamic. You know, I, I want to praise him up front, you know. Well, we're going to probably spend a lot of time discussing the other members of the band and what they contribute to this album. But, like, James Labrie, good job, man. Yes, considering you definitely risked your entire voice for this. He did, yes. He, he ruptured his vocal cords for, for this gig. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, like, despite that, he's really hitting these notes yeah so i th- this song is a plot song um it, it kind of it, it kind of establishes what the main character whose name is nicholas is mm-hmm. kind of going through uh or at the start of the story right uh, all we know about him is he's a troubled man and he is he has dreams of uh, and he sees through the eyes of a person he's never met and he sees a life he didn't live <laughs> and he's very like confused about it like he he sees the world you know uh i think it's in the 20s like 1928 Mm. he sees the events of 1928 through the eyes of what he assumes is a a girl that he's Mm -hmm. never met before and he doesn't know what's going on and it feels vivid and real and he's trying to get to the bottom of it you know so is is he contemporary so is he in 1999 yeah i think so okay yeah um and he goes to see a hypnotherapist to like you know, get to the bottom of what do these dreams mean, man? What's going on? Um, and he also goes in, 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 in these opening numbers, he's investigating the events of this woman's life, you know, right. and he's like going to places, I assume in his town that he has seen in his dreams, like old houses and stuff. And so even in his old, in his past life, he lived in this town. I think so. Because the, the at least in this song, it makes this song and the next one, it makes it seems like he's he's going out of his way to like investigate the physical places he's visited in his dreams. Hmm. Uh, before I get too far into it, uh, like its predecessor, Metropolis Part Two was heavily inspired by the 1991 neo noir film Dead Again. So I did talk about this in when we talked Metropolis Part One, but Dead Again is a film starring Kenneth Branagh. I think he directed it too. Hmm. Um, I've seen it one time. 
Uh, and I, I didn't revisit it for this show. Uh, so this is all based on memory, but it's basically the same plot. I think, I don't think it's Kenneth Branagh who's seeing life through the eyes of someone in the past. He meets a woman who is, mm. and this woman is like, you know, having, you know, she, she has amnesia, but then she also has dreams of a past life. And someone she, you know, someone she's never met before. Yeah. And so it's like this mystery crime drama kind of thing where they're, you know, trying to get to the bottom of her anxieties why does she have amnesia and mm-hmm. it's also a bit of a romance story where they fall in love sounds, you know sounds like the lake house it's, it's, it's high concept like keanu reeves the lake house yeah <laughs> yeah very very it's trippy and the disgust that your face fell into <laughs> for half a second <laughs> it's psychological it's it's a little steamy it's Ooh, it, i don't know i've steamy. i've I've heard podcasts because the, the the movie just celebrated its 30th anniversary. Oh, wow. And uh, I've heard podcast people saying that the movie holds up and it's good for what it is. Mm, uh, Robin Williams is in it. Oh, I enjoy me some Robin Williams. And uh, the, the, the beats of Dead Again do match the beats of Metropolis Part 2, where like it's not only the main character who's having, you know, experiencing some form of reincarnation, you know, mm-hmm. uh, where like there's like this connection between someone in the present and someone in the past. Like they have some kind of like this, I don't know, spiritual connection, you know, uh, there are other people in the stories that equally share connections with other people who interacted with, you know, so Nicholas is connected to this mysterious woman named Victoria. Mm -hmm. And then there are other people in Nicholas's life that are also connected to people who knew Victoria. Oh, this is definitely a curse. Nicholas is definitely cursed. That's it, 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 the I, whole town is cursed to relive this over and over again. Their connections are the same. Mm-mm. This is a horror. And I think the point of the whole, you know, the theme of this album and the theme of Metropolis Part One is about the universal, like, you know, like the universal connection that all human beings share. You know, are we all connected? I think so. How are we connected? I don't know. Like I, I've always said this. I feel like there is some kind of unseen spiritual connection between people. Uh, that we just like don't comprehend, right? Like I, I always think about it when, if you're out in public, and someone, let's say they're 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 turned away from you, right? But you look up at their face for some reason. Somehow they know they're being watched, and they turn to look at you. Has mm-hmm. that ever happened to you? No. Oh well, okay. Well, <laughs> maybe I'm maybe I'm unique in that way. But I feel I feel like there's some connection that people feel. It's like yeah. I I sometimes it's like I know. If I'm being watched by someone and then I look and see, oh, yes, I am indeed being watched. It, it, it sometimes feels like somebody's watching me. Oh, gosh. I get no privacy. Oh. Oh, dear. <laughs> All right. So did, you obviously listened to this song and read the lyrics. Uh-huh. Uh, what did you think of Fatal Tragedy? I think I was in a mood when I read this <laughs> uh, or when I went over the lyrics last time. But I thought it was good. I thought it was it had interesting moments and stuff that I was like, what? What does this mean? It's telling a literal story. Yeah. Okay, well, so like, yes, right? And and because it's literal, I was being like literal at some so the the lines at the first end of the first stanza, when I sleep at night, I hear the cries. What does this mean? I put it means you need soundproofing. <laughs> well, it, needs, it means he needs therapy, which he, he did. He he heeds that advice and goes to therapy. That's, yeah. that's what that opening, you know, song that we heard it was. Right. That opening narration. He's getting therapy. But he also needs soundproofing. But I feel like this this song could be him. Like he's in that 
hypnotherapist trance. Like he's, you know, having that, uh, being told, you know, hey, count down from 10, relax, open your mind. And this is what he sees when he's doing that. You know, he's he's lying. Like the opening part of that song is, you know, he's he's lying in bed. He's trying to understand what his thoughts and his dreams mm-hmm. mean. And this is him trying to like close, you know, just kind of shut everything off and just meditate. Yeah. And then be in the moment that uh, causes all of this. Yeah. And then he sees like vivid uh, memories of another person in that meditative state. And then he's receiving clues on who this person is and what he sees. So, yeah, you, you get the lines. I shut the door and traveled to another home. Uh, I met an older man. He seemed to be alone. I felt that I could trust him. He talked to me that night and he said, lad, did you know a girl was murdered here? This fatal tragedy was talked about for years. Victoria has gone forever. Only memories remain. She passed away. She was so young. very literal yeah though i guess at this point right like he's walking through dreams instead of being a part of the dreams because if he was victoria in this setting he this old man wouldn't have oh that's a good point that's a good point that's why i also think this could be him investigating on his known in like you know his waking hours right yeah well okay right because it does say at the beginning all alone at night i feel so strange i need to find all the answers to my dreams and i put dream dreams or goal dreams because i hadn't gone to the rest of it quite yet dream, dream and then dreams. it's dream dreams yeah so um yeah i don't know maybe this isn't his is waking like waking life so he's going about the city like you said and trying to follow the footsteps of this woman he keeps seeing in his dreams or he keeps seeing the life uh around and so maybe this old man that he feels like he can trust was victoria's brother or something i didn't want to say father because the 1920s to the 1990s is a long grandpa would have been not have made it (laughs) well i always figured this is just my interpretation i've always had this interpretation since i first heard it but like you know he's he's having the dreams he he sees like a house in his dreams like this house i've never seen before right and then he's cruising the neighborhood trying to like you know goes to the old part of town to see if he recognizes it and he sees it and like he goes up to like, you know, and this maybe this house is like burned out and, you know, condemned. And he's just like looking in the window trying to figure out and, like an old groundskeeper walks up and that's the older man. You know, it's like mm-hmm. some guy who's been there for decades and he knows all the, the ghost stories. And, you know, he's like, you know, son, did you know a girl was murdered here? Eek. The fatal tragedy has been talked about for years, you know. Well, then how did I not know? And then they, they name drop the girl, you know, Victoria's right. gone forever. So he knows Nicholas, the main character, knows he has this connection. He see he's seeing Victoria's life through her eyes in his dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I would assume, you know, I have like weird dreams. I don't know that I would ever investigate my dreams. Like how how 
like pressed do you have to feel? Do you never? Ha- I feel like th- and this might just be like our brains are wired weird. Like I've heard like your brain, the thing that generates dreams, the part of your brain that generates dreams also deals with memory recall, you know? Mm -hmm. So like when you have deja vu and that's another element of this album, they bring up having strange deja vu, Mm -hmm. but deja, like sometimes it's like I have deja vu. I see something or I experience something. Yeah. And it, I'm reminded of a dream that I had where I was like, I've done this in my dream. You know, it's like, my dream was some kind of premonition that of this moment. <laughs> it feels that way sometimes. Yeah, it- yeah, no. I think maybe when I was younger, that's how I felt about Deja Vu. Like, I can remember a couple of moments of feeling it like that. But currently, like, when I have Deja Vu, I'm like, I've lived this moment. Like, it doesn't feel as foggy. It feels very crisp. And it's like, mm, <laughs> I glitched and I've repeated. And that I think maybe that's the... Uh- the idea it's like how do you know you're not just you have lived this moment but it was through another person's life you know yeah your past reincarnation hope not (laughs) (laughs) i was a wealthy business banker before the crash oh gosh (laughs) before the depression before i got depression um yeah i think it's that's just well okay i think maybe if i had regular people dreams i i would be like oh wouldn't that be but my dreams your dreams are out there my dreams are out there (laughs) That's a story for another time, kids, for another podcast, Dreaming with Jess. Um, But you know what? One of the lines that I I liked or, well, mm, that I highlighted and another one that I squared, I squared or I highlighted without faith, without hope, there can be no peace of mind. And that's that's actually like a part of the bigger what I would consider the chorus of the song Mm -hmm. because it goes without love, without truth, there could be no turning back. Without faith, without hope, there could be no peace of mind. Yes. I boxed the first one because I was like, I don't understand what that's saying. And then the second one that I just read, I highlighted because I felt that one. I was like, mm-hmm. I feel like that's where the song takes goes away from being ultra literal about the plot of the story and is now like, you know, kind of elaborating on the themes that the band wanted to explore through, mm-hmm. through the story. Because, you know, a story can just you could tell a story and it could just be events you know, things that happen, but like a good story will try to connect emotionally with the audience as well. Right. Right. And I think that's what some of these songs are meant to do. It's like, yeah, we'll explore the events of the story, but at the same time, explore, you know, themes and, you know, elements of the human condition. Elements of the human condition. And uh, this song was written by our good friend, bassist John Mayone. Uh, good old John. We, we've, we've, we've praised and criticized John Mayone's lyrics in the past. Yes. Uh, this was his last lyrical contribution to the band for over a decade. Ooh. This was his last one for a long, long time. That was pretty nice, John. Thank, thanks, thanks yeah. for, uh, thanks for this gift. And he he has a very particular uh, writing style. I feel like the the ideas that he explores in his lyrics uh, relate to like his own emotional growth 
Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about uh, learning to the song "Learning to Live" when we talked to images and words, which right. is all about John Mayang. You know, exploring like how how can I be a better person? How can I like you know improve my character? Mm-hmm. Right, and I think this that chorus that we were talking about that's John Mayung identifying the things in life that he values. Right, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Love, truth, faith, hope. Uh, you know, I, I, it, it's it's not a secret that John Mayung is a Christian. True. Uh, and I think that's he explores his faith through his lyrics. And this was an example where he's doing that. And I don't, I don't, I don't swat him down for that. I just still don't understand what the couplet is saying about the love and truth one. Like the faith and the hope one makes sense, right? Without faith and without hope, there can be no peace of mind. Like, yep, it's just true, right? Like if you don't have like faith or belief or some kind of certainty that's not based on facts or, and if you don't have hope, there is no peace of mind. Right. Like there just isn't. I was like, mm, mm, strong. Feel that. But without love or truth, there can be no turning back. That's confusing to me. Yeah. I was like, what? Turning back to do what? Like, Yeah. Yeah. So that line, I was like, um, you lost me. Turning back. Yeah. Yeah. What What do you think he, I'm like. <laughs> so you, you follow me now. I, 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 was I like, see it. I was like, I get the love. I just don't get it. Like, what is the song referring to? Like it's referring to like obviously it's not turning back time. It like in the literal sense it could be like with that if I don't find the because again like I think the arc of this main character right is he's he's troubled. Uh, he t- there are some songs where he mentions having a, a daughter and a, and a child right that he's not connecting with. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's feeling some kind of you know turbulence in his life right and he's not having a deep connection with his loved ones right mm-hmm. uh so like maybe the the song is if i can't find those things in my life i'll never be able to understand what these dreams mean i'll never be able to you know turn back uh you know my perception to see the life that i lived before or something you know or, or or maybe turn back means to return to you know the love i had at first you know so without love or truth i can't turn back to love and truth <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh it I, I like i like the melody i like the mood it gives off yeah but i i think i i understand where it's coming from even if it wasn't articulated in the best way um is that all you have to say about the lyrics of the song i did that was all i had to say because it is very like plotty mm-hmm. um and so it was like just a read through, like yeah. oh, okay. And that and that's why I wanted to start with this song. It's just to get people up to speed on like what the story of this album is trying to tell, right? Here's the yeah. start, it's more or less the starting point for this the story of the album. Yeah, because all that happens in the rest of this uh, scene is that Chris Steven, what's his name? Nicholas, Nicholas tries to get um, a, more answers of, about more details about this girl who died and the man who looked like he could be trusted was like, nah, Sonny, you're on your own. That's a direct quote. Yep.
got that gothic choir, you know. Some of that Notre Dame. Sounds. Yeah. I I like the vibe it gives off. It gives the song a very gothic feel. Yeah. Right? Because like who knows? Like he, you know, as he's getting more desperate for answers, like in a neo noir type film, like you know, I'm thinking like black and white, like you know, like it's getting darker and his search is getting more frantic and maybe yeah. it's starting to rain and there's like, you know, <laughs> building a whole scene. In yeah. Like, and he's investigating this creepy old home from the twenties that he's never been to before. You mm. know, who, who knows what kind of creepy stuff is going on. Right. Sure. It's supernatural. Like I, I, I think it enhances the vibe of the setting. Mm. Yeah. So I, I like, I like, I've always liked that about dream theaters. They're constantly feeding in, they're constantly bringing in influences from many different genres of music, mm -hmm. you know? Like, this song features metal, you know, like clean piano, uh, gothic choirs. Yeah. You know, it's just a bunch of stuff all together, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's going to be songs with just acoustic guitar and, you know, piano ballads and hardcore metal. Like, it's got it all. Hardcore metal. But yeah, that is, uh, I think, all I have to say on a Fatal Tragedy. So, Me too, but yeah. it was nice. I mean, it was fatal. It was a tragedy, but it was nice. The, so the next song we're going to talk about is actually the very next song on the album, which is called Scene 4 Beyond This Life. And uh, in, tr in this, I think, you know, continues the tradition of those classic rock operas of the past. The song seamlessly transitions from Fatal Tragedy to Beyond This Life. And here's what it sounds like. Remember that death is not the end, but only a transition. Death is not the end, only a transition, you know? Uh, so this is the big revelation song. This is where Nicholas is like, you know, really investigating and he gets the facts of what happened to this Victoria so long ago. Uh, you know, like we, we heard the clues from the old man. Uh, this this girl died many years ago. Uh, it was a fatal tragedy. Uh, how did, nobody knows why or how or who did it. And this song tells you kind of what the story is. So I'm, a, I'm imagining like Nicholas going down to the local library and like looking up old newspaper yeah. clippings and, and, and like reading what the you know, what the story was at the time, you know, like what, what, what did the authorities say happened? What, what was, what, you know, what's the prevailing idea right behind this event? Mm -hmm. And the, I mean, the, I mean, the lyrics are pretty clear on some of the stuff that happened, right? I feel like this song is super literal, at least on the, the, the plot side of things, right? Yeah. I don't know that it's like super clear. I think they leave it a little ambiguous on purpose. This, this is true. And I think this is what, like, I think that's why Nicholas is taking such an interest, interest in this other than he has like, you know, cut this connection with whoever was killed, mm -hmm. but also like he knows the details that are laid out in the history aren't exactly right. Right. And that's why he like sees it different. Right. Uh, but the, the song opens up with headline murder, <laughs> <laughs> young girl killed, desperate shooting at Echoes Hill, dreadful ending, killer died, uh, evidently suicide.
Yes, that is what it says on my paper. So I, I, headline murder. Like I was like, he's looking at a newspaper from 1928, and right. he's like, oh, wow, th- th- this happened. Extra, extra, read all about it. I don't want to read about it, thank you. But yeah, so I think that it's um, well, okay to lay it out, right? Like the plot of it is that like witnesses heard a struggle of something and uh, ran in to find a woman already dead and then a man standing over her and that man took his life immediately after. Yep. That, and so th- that's what the lyrics of the song tell. Yep. This is this is there's a lot of lyrics in this song. There are. I I, I highlighted just so I can reference them. But yeah, it's like this. The, the lyrics themselves don't have a lot of meat on the bone, but mm. it's just like here is what happened, you know? So I'm like, if you're interested in Metropolis Part Two, you're like Rodney. What 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 do you what do you want? What are you on about? Right. <laughs> I would recommend listening to Beyond This Life because it tells you exactly what you're getting into getting into the album, right? Because the entire second half of this album deals with this day, and you see it from Victoria's perspective. You right. Know? Uh, you're you're able like so like the first half of the album is kind of focused on Nicholas, right? Mm-hmm. Then the second half deals with Victoria, right? And you actually get to see the history as it happened. Right. And then the last track is everyone kind of coming together, mm-hmm. you know, in, becoming one hive mind. Uh, not exactly. <laughs> but. So was this your favorite song off the album when you were younger? Like, because it gave you like, like when you were doing dishes, it's, it's one and of the most sweeping, memorable sweeping around and you're just like, oh my gosh, murder. The, oh, what happened? I can big, imagine. Yeah, no, Fatal Tragedy and Beyond This Life, that two for definitely stuck in my brain the most mm-hmm. listening to this album because you listen to this song and like they tell you like basically straight faced like what the events of this day were. Right. Right. Um, it's, it's easy to take in and understand, you know, and you can tell, okay, yeah, they're telling a story and it's not super obtuse, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, no, no, here's, here's what happened. Right. right? right, right, right. Y- yeah. There are some ambiguities and, uh, some things, you know, this could be like unreliable narrator kind of thing, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's like, no, they're telling you events that happened. Right. Yeah. Um, it was murder. Standing by her was a man, nervous, shaking gun in hand. Witness say he tried to help. But he turned the weapon on himself. So, you know, who who was this wit or two things? Who was this man that was standing over her with the gun and who took his life? And who was the witness? Those are questions you should be asking yourself because are they're answered later? Yes. <laughs> yes, they are. I wasn't asking myself those. Instead I was like, maybe they were just practicing for the school play. Maybe it was Romeo and Juliet and he just Romeo plus Juliet and he just didn't realize the gun was life. <laughs> It's a possibility, you know, but yeah, the, the, the shooter and the witness are important characters in this tale. Uh, and then they give you a bit more into like the, at least the perception of what Victoria's, uh, feelings were before this happened, right? She wanted love forever, but he had another plan. He fell into an evil way. She had to let him down. She said, I can't love a wayward man. She wanted- 
have a question. Yes. Without looking it up, what what do you think a wayward man is? Oh, I mean, I, I know based on the evidence presented in the other songs what this wayward man was up to. What do you think? There's a definition for a wayward man, though. Oh, is there? A, yeah, I have. I, I mean, I'm just like, he's a drunk. He's uh. he's he's a he's like a layabout. He's like a prodigal son. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Um. Webster's Dictionary said difficult to control or predict predict because of unusual or perverse behavior. Yes, that that's that's exactly right. So yes. yeah, so the story is Victoria uh, was in love with someone who lost his way. He was a wayward man. Yeah, you know, and he had his uh, proclivities. Don't like that. Yeah. Um. At least that's the idea given in uh, in this song, at least right and. Uh, I think the song frames it as she, you know, basically broke off things with this man. And Mm -hmm. that is perhaps why he allegedly killed her. Uh, Allegedly. Um, I think it's like interesting, right? Because it, it, I think there's a lot of like really interesting lines here in, in the story that they're telling, right? Like she may have found a reason to forgive, uh, if he, yeah, yeah. If only he had tried to change. Were you just saying yeah or were you saying the lyric that yeah, happened? That's, there? that's what he says. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah. If only he had tried to change. Which I'm just like, I think it tells us, it, it like, there's so few lines about the actual, like, relationship between them. You know, well, like, it's like, this was the actions between them or whatever. But this is says something about, like, the characters. Like, yeah. she really loved him and she wanted to make it work. Yep. But she knew that that was not the best <laughs> look for either of them. And she wanted him to change. And it was like that their relationship, it hinged on him getting clean. Yeah. Yeah. And whatever, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's, you know, a drunk or doing drugs, but he's, he's dirty in some way. Yeah. That was actually the reason I had to like, look up wayward uh, to see like what kind of definition it has attached to it. Because when I read it the first time, like she would have forgiven him if only he changed. And I was like, I don't know, man. <laughs> like being being at like why can't you be yourself and da 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 and then I like was like let me look up wayward yeah, no, he's because lost- that feels like an important word and you're like yeah he he he, he struggled had some, with it. he had some trouble yeah so I was like oh, okay that makes more sense he like, lost his way that's why he is wayward oh gosh so he needs to f- find his way again if he wants to be you know he wants How to maintain his, his love way when he is in a new life watching. From a distance. No, it's not. It will. Maybe, maybe it's. Maybe. I don't know. It's all. It's all questions. 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 Um, and obviously the the song also asks questions, right? Had a violent struggle taken place? There was a sign that led there. Witness found a switchblade on the ground. Was the victim unaware? They continued to investigate. They found a note in the killer's pocket. It could have been a suicide letter. Maybe he had lost her love. A lot of questions you know again this is where it's like this seems more like you know a, a, a newspaper account of what happened right it's yeah like, here's the evidence i was finding the, on the scene of the you know seeing the crime here's what right. the police are investigating they're like we found a switchblade and a, and a suicide note 
Hmm. What could it all mean? What could it all mean? Tune in next time. And the, the, the note, the suicide note said the words, I'd sooner take my life away than live with losing you. Yeah. And also, I wrote a big old X there and said, no, kids. <laughs> no. But hey, I will say there's, there's more to that note than meets the eye. Basically, everything in this song is more than meets the eye. Hey, kids, can you tell that he's really bad at, like, hiding spoilers? I don't care. <laughs> can you tell? Can listen, you tell? listen. I didn't give it away. Listen to the song. <laughs> I, like, you're just so excited. Like, it's not a bad thing. I think it's cute where you're just like, well, I don't know. Is there? <laughs> well, I'm just, yeah. I mean, it's it's like a, it, it's based on a neo-noir film. So yeah. it's, it's all about, like, setting up mysteries. And, yeah. Finding, yeah. collecting the clues and the puzzles. Yeah. And then there's a big revelation at the end, right? Oh. Telling you exactly what happened. But we're not going to give that to no, you. No, we're not. are going to have to listen to the album. Exactly. Um, and then just like with Fatal Tragedy, um, where the writer of the song got to infuse a little bit of, you know, explorations of themes, right? Get a little abstract. I feel like this song does the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, towards the end of the song, uh, it has, I don't know, more of a melodic movement where it says, our deeds have traveled far. What we have been is what we are, and they repeat that. All that we learn this time is carried beyond this life. And, and kind of repeat that in you know various uh, various harmonies underneath, and it's very it's it's a really pretty part of the song. Mm-hmm. Um, and the writer of this song is John Petrucci, the guitar player, and uh, I think he's just trying to explore the themes presented, where it's like Nicholas is, lo- you know, looking back on this event in the past, and he's recognizing how like you know a, a tragic event has has like a ripple effect, mm-hmm. you know, far into the future, generations beyond, right? And it's like I think. That inspires someone to look at the event, the actions in their own life and recognizing that what you do in your lifetime could affect people years ahead of you. Right. You know, people you'll you'll never meet, you know, people who are born after you've died. Yeah, that's that's literally a note that I have on one of the one of these uh, portions. Right. It was just like it's an interesting what we have been is what we are is carried beyond this life. And it's just an interesting thought, right? Like it carries beyond our life to the ones left behind to deal with you, <laughs> yep. like deal with without you and how you left and what you took kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and that, and I was referencing that specifically to like the murder suicide, at least in this thing, right? Like um, it carries beyond not just like into the afterlife, whatever afterlife you believe in, uh, but it carries beyond your life to the hole you leave behind uh, and has those ripple effects. I actually, um, the our deeds have traveled far. What we have been is what we are. It made me think about the the concept of you'll always be wherever you go. You can't outrun yourself, especially if you don't deal with your stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which is really interesting to put in this kind of concept of reincarnation and knowing your past lives. Yeah. Feeling like you're cut from the same cloth. And if you don't choose to make different decisions uh, in this new life that you've been given, then you are only going to repeat the things, whether you can remember them or not. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay. Uh, I, I, I think this, it, it is interesting and they're, they're playing, it's, it's sort of like they're taking the, the fantasy and like the, the supernatural elements of the story and kind of like applying it to, you know, our, our own connections with the world around us. Right. And the people, mm. the, not only the people around us, but it's like, you know, people far away. Right? right. It's like we have, everybody has an effect. And I think when I mentioned like, you know, the supernatural connection that, or the spiritual connection, we all share that unseen connection that applies to our actions as well. It's right. like, you know, your actions could affect like unseen people. Yeah. Right? It's like, or you may unseen not even, to you. yeah, you might not even notice like the way you affect other people. Right? Yeah. And you know, with the internet that that's doubly true, right? You know? Yeah. You get, you send something out there into the airwaves that, you know, you'll, ha you have no idea who's going to listen, you know, and, and you might've really helped someone without not even knowing it. Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting because this is both like, I think typically people think of this in a negative sense, but this is both negative and positive. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like two weeks ago or something, we were at church <laughs> and somebody said to me like, oh, I've heard this, this, and this about you. And I've never talked to this person in my life. And I was just thinking about like the connections that I make that also make connections. Um, and that that's who we, that is a cost of being human. Yeah. I suppose. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think cats can also do it, but <laughs> it's an invitation to at least examine your own like actions, you know, and like footprint. Yeah. Examine your carbon footprint. <laughs> <laughs> no, not just your carbon footprint, but your, your spiritual your footprint. Fleshy. Oh, spiritual. <laughs> examine your feet. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. That's, that's all I have to say about the lyrics of the song. You got anything else? No. Um, let's end it by talking about, uh, some music stuff, right? So, uh, I want to talk about like kind of the musical influences of the song because, uh, beyond this life is, uh, one of the longest songs in the album. How long is it? It is, uh, 11 minutes, 23 seconds. Oh, um, and I was listening to a very in-depth, uh, interview that John Petrucci and Jordan Rudis did, uh, in honor of the 20th anniversary of this album, mm -hmm. uh, roundabouts and, uh, like John Petrucci said this song is an endurance test yeah it is so long and so intense um that like playing it is like i have to pace myself i have to know what i'm getting into it's like mm. i have to warm up you know and just like hold hold strong <laughs> because and you've probably heard, if, if, go back and listen to some of the clips like that we've been playing as we talk about the lyrics um or just go and listen to the whole song Every time there's like a different change in like the the vocal melody or like a different verse will hit. John Petrucci, I guess, was like trying to like liven up his guitar playing by like just playing different riffs and playing around. Mm. So he's like, this song has so many different guitar parts. And like I, I, I can understand like the physically trying to play so many different guitar parts uh, in a song and just switch it up so often would be difficult physically yeah but then mentally trying yeah. to remember it's like okay which what, part comes where right it's this is not your standard like yeah the guitar player is going to play the same 
bit for each verse and then play the same bit for each chorus. It's like, no, man, he's switching it up constantly. (laughs) The things that we commit to in our youth. This is like a mind and body. can't pay for as our adults. Mind and body test. Uh, But yeah, and then... um, roundabouts like the halfway point in the song it just became becomes an extended instrumental section mm-hmm. dream theater does that their 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 longest songs tend to have a lot of instrumental filler. portions <laughs> it's good <laughs> i know you can treat it as filler but i filler filler does not necessarily mean bad i'm reading it as the anime sense again there are some filler episodes that are excellent but no um the I enjoy these dream theater songs because it feels like a musical roller coaster. You're just being taken in, you know, with ups and downs and the song will just change and move all over the place. So I'm going to play a little bit of highlights from the instrumental jam. But what if I get musical motion sickness from this roller coaster? You're joking about that, but I have a feeling that people who aren't used to this type of music do get something akin to motion sickness (laughs) listening to this. They're like, oh, Put on your seatbelts, kitties. So in that instrumental portion of the song, uh, there's uh, a few movements that are reminiscent of other classic influences of Dream Theater, musical mm-hmm. influences. Uh, so uh, this section, uh, I was actually reading the Dream Theater Forum. People refer to this se- section as the Edgar Winter section. Uh, Edgar Winter was a 70s multi-instrumentalist. Uh, he wrote a song called Frankenstein. It's very good. But <laughs> apparently this sounds like Edgar Winter. Okay. bit of uh you know got the guitar lead and then you got that organ uh playing in the background so it's very it's very 70s 70s uh funk rock (laughs) put a little that stank on it (laughs) just wait until you hear the dirty pig we're we're, we're not gonna hear any dirty pig on this album but wait until you hear the dirty pig oh no (laughs) Uh, and then there's another section uh people call it the frank zappa section named after frank zappa who's I'm t- I'm going real deep into the weird music <laughs> hole here. Frank Zappa makes so much music. No, yes, he does. He released like an album a year, yeah, or whatever. We, but no, sometimes twice a year. But Frank Zappa's music is so out there; it's like on another level. Mm. got some just weird crazy notes crazy tones uh crazy sound effects you know like you got keyboards that sound like french horns <laughs> that's, that's it's just jordan is going crazy how quickly can you change the the settings on that that's what i was saying so um he, jordan Rudis, his keyboard is programmed to uh he has a foot pedal and mm-hmm. it, it, every time he hits the foot pedal it changes like the basically the the layout of his keyboard so that different portions play different types of notes and different sounds and stuff, you know? Mm. Uh, and sometimes it, it'll be completely refigured where 
he hit a note and it'll just compl- it'll play a full sample of something. Uh, yeah, right, 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 right. Right, yeah. So yes, it it it, it takes a lot of programming expertise to be able to hit all these different notes and weird sounds yeah. live and making sure you hit the right button. He's got a whole he's got like a freaking computer under there and a whole <laughs> rig uh, when he's up there playing live. It's it's quite a thing to behold. <laughs> I I mentioned earlier that Metropolis Part Two was inspired by all those you know classic right. rock operas. Uh, Metropolis Part 2 was also partially inspired by Radiohead's 1997 album, OK Computer. <laughs> you have no idea what that is. Nope. <laughs> okay, so um, this comes from uh, a behind-the-scenes video that Mike Portnoy uh, filmed while mm-hmm. they were recording this album. And uh, it's on YouTube. You can watch it. Where he's just like going through the studio with a camcorder and filming stuff. Cute. And he walks into the studio and you see, he goes, oh, here's Inspiration Corner. And it's all of these albums laid out, and apparently they used that for inspiration. And, you know, and it had the Who's Tommy, Pink Floyd, all mm-hmm. that stuff. And it had OK Computer, which was a Radiohead album, which is, I think, looking at all those albums together, that's the one that stands out the most because it's the most recent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is another point where I'm going to talk about the state of rock and roll at the time of the album's release. No. I've done this a few times where, you know, like because my albums are so niche, I will kind of t- describe where rock and metal were in the mainstream. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and kind of relate it back to the album we're talking about. So up to this point, we've talked about it. Uh, the prevailing, the ruling rock genre in the late 90s was alternative. Yeah. Alternative rock was king. Yeah. Um, it, and, and progressive rock was a jester. It was all about like playing stripped down music, you know, music with an edge, right? Music that wasn't pretentious. However, there was a growing change. A sea of, you know, the, the seas had changed, right? Winds of change were happening in the, in the mid to late 90s. Um, and this happened both in the US and the UK. Mm-hmm. I was actually doing a lot of research on uh, Radiohead and like their, their rise to power in the <laughs> 90s in the UK. Uh, and like I learned a lot about like the the UK alternative scene at the same time, right? Right? Because uh, like we we call it alternative rock here. Apparently, like that type of music in the UK was called Britpop. Huh. So Britpop in the '90s was very guitar driven, uh, stripped down, right? Uh, free of pretension, right? Okay. Um, and there were acts before Radiohead who were experimenting with more uh, elaborate compositions, right? Uh, g- genre bending. All that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I think Smashing Pumpkins was doing it, right? Uh, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness had already come out. I think it was 95. Uh, that album is like super out there. It's very orchestral and cinematic. Uh, and so when people point to OK Computer by Radiohead as like the starting point or the point where elaborate art rock went mainstream... Mm-hmm. I would argue there's there's stuff before it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, OK Computer by Radiohead is kind of the touchstone okay. for a lot of historians. It's like, because OK Computer, it's alternative rock, but it's not as simple as alternative rock had been up to this point. Okay. They took a lot of risks. There's a lot of like electronica and orchestral movements and just kind of like, changes in in musical style throughout the whole album it's Mm -hmm. it's weird it's weird music it's niche it's it's not what you would consider mainstream 
But here's the funny thing. OK Computer sold incredibly well. <laughs> so it it was a huge hit and it kind of transformed the perception of alternative rock at the time. It, it I think a lot of people say that it, it opened up the possibilities of alternative <laughs> rock, right? It's like, here's what rock could be now. Here's what rock could do for you. And I guess in the UK, they paved the way for a genre called post-Britpop. Okay. Music genres are weird, man. Yes. It's hard to like Keep. nail down. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like I think OK Computer by Radiohead um, helped forge like the next generation of alternative rock that you would hear in the 2000s, right? Um, like Coldplay, The Fray. Um, are those rock boom? Muse, even. That, that's alternative rock. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I listen to very much British uh, it's not just British music, but the, the, some of those bands are American too. But it's were just they? Like, yeah, wow, I I'm real so. good at this. I'm just saying, like a lot of like the the stuff that you hear in the 2000s were they can point back and thank Radiohead for ah, allowing the, poss got it. the possibility. And then I would also argue that like Radiohead, they weren't doing anything new. I mm -hmm. think they just did something that broke through into the mainstream. Right. Uh, uh, Stephen Wilson, who uh, of the band Porcupine Tree, who is like this very like hardcore of the hardcore like progressive rock acts, right? It's mm -hmm. like they're they're like super cult, right? Meat and potatoes music, right? Okay. Like dream, it's like they make dream theater look mainstream. All right. Right. Uh, but he he had he put it in a way. I saw a quote from him where he was like, "Radiohead didn't do anything new, but they opened the door." for like bands who were doing that kind of thing for a decade to be able to find success doing it in the mainstream, you know? So they just like were able to popularize mm -hmm. and, you know, they were like the Trojan horse yeah. of like, you know, more non-mainstream music in the mainstream, I guess. Yeah, you know? okay. But anyway, with all that said, the market, the musical market was more accepting of weird out there music. So Dream Theater, I think... Seeing the success, we're able to say, hey, we can do that too, right? And they actually, they they showed it. They were influenced by Radiohead for because this album. Because it was album. in Inspiration Corner. It was. So Full I, story circle. <laughs> and I think that's, this album features, a, it has a little bit of Radiohead in there. There's some flavor. Hmm. Specifically this song. Mm -hmm. uh, the main riff of this song is very similar to the riff in Radiohead's Paranoid Android. Okay. So let me just, okay. I'm going to just play a bit of Beyond This Life and say, yeah, that's, that's where that came from. Okay. So the doom, 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 doom. That is very similar to Paranoid Android by mm. Radiohead. So that just goes to show Dream Theater. Uh, that they, they were drawing from contemporary influences as well. It's an homage. It was an homage. Anyway, uh, can I tell a story about this song? Sure. Uh, a live, live story because I've seen Dream Theater live several times. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the best concerts I've ever been to, not just best Dream Theater concerts, best concerts ever was Progressive Nation 2009. It was headlined by Dream Theater. Hey. They played uh, with a few bands. They played with Big Elf, Scale the Summit, and they uh, and they played with Zappa Play Zappa. 
uh, Dweezil Zappa, who is Frank Zappa's son, mm-hmm. went on tour as Zappa plays Zappa and played his dad's music. Okay. And so, yeah, they talk about that Frank Zappa connection. Uh, <laughs> they were literally playing with Frank Zappa's son on a tour. They played Beyond This Life, and it was one of the coolest concert moments ever. So yeah. they played most of Beyond This Life, right? Uh, they they play most of the song. They get to this instrumental jam session. They do it like normal, right? And they're just playing the song like normal. And then one by one, each of the musicians and the singer leave the stage. You know, they all kind of fade out. And you just see Mike Portnoy on the stage. And he starts doing a drum solo, <laughs> right? And he's just doing his crazy drum solo. Like, okay, cool. This is a Mike Portnoy drum solo. And he goes on for a few minutes. Then he says, hey, I need some help out here. And he, he, he invites <clears throat> every drummer from the op- all the bands that had played before you hmm. know the drummer from zappa play zappa drummer from big elf drummer from scale the summit to come out and play with him on his one drum set oh wow so there were so many drums on that set yeah so there were four drummers all playing on one drum set and it was like this crazy drum solo between all of them right yeah then then they, the drummers all leave then john petrucci the guitar player comes out and he invites all of the guitar players from the whole set to play together. To come and try to play this. <laughs> and so they were all doing this crazy, you know, all bouncing off each other, like passing the ball kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Each guy would take the lead. Freaking Jordan Rudis pulls out the guitar and he's up there with all the guitar players and he's <laughs> doing it too. And they're all doing it. And out of nowhere, legendary guitar player Steve Vai joins the stage it was a surprise he wasn't supposed to be there and everyone freaks out and then he's (laughs) up there jamming with everybody so it's like five guitar players and a guitar all (laughs) playing this crazy stuff and like they 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 go all out and all of a sudden you hear like the guitar players start to shuffle off and they leave and it's dream theater all together again and all of a sudden they loop back come full circle and they're playing beyond they finish beyond this life oh wow So all of that madness basically took place in the context of Beyond This Life. It was really huh. cool. Uh, it, it, it was it was definitely something. And uh, they I wish they would have recorded that whole thing as like <laughs> a you know, whole production. Like yeah. I could have bought a DVD of that performance. But I was there and it was really, really cool. <laughs> uh, but that that is Beyond This Life. I know there's a lot of stuff going on, but yeah. It was a good it was a good song. It was good it was good. So that is where we're going to leave it as far as the plot goes. Uh, if you want to, if we've given you, we've, we've given you a sample of the plot of Scenes from a Memory. Tasty, tasty sample. If you feel like you want to see where the story goes, if you're enticed. If uh, you want to have a whole meal. We're, we're going to leave some open for you. You know, you'll be able to listen and say, oh, wow. How about that? <laughs> uh, from there, I, I do want to just highlight two other songs that are kind of like independent of the plot. They do relate back. Um, but they're kind of standouts in their own way. Mm-hmm. They're, they're unique songs. Unique fillers. <laughs> they're, they're, they're like unique standalone songs uh, from the album. And uh, the first one is called Scene 7, Part 1, The Dance of Eternity.
So here's the secret. Uh, this song is an instrumental. Are you surprised, kids? We've talked Dream Theater instrumentals before, but <laughs> this one is the crown jewel of Dream Theater instrumentals. This is the wildest ride you will ever go on. <laughs> Uh, and like just playing bits and pieces of it, like we're going to do, will not do the song justice. This is one of those songs that I recommend you put your headphones on, you turn the lights off and you just fall asleep, <laughs> close your eyes and listen. Cause it, it, it's, it's not 30 minutes long. Like some of these other instrumentals that we've done before. It's, it's, it's only six minutes uh, and it goes places. I'll tell you. Six minutes is enough time to fall asleep. <laughs> so did you, did you, you listen to this one? Yeah. What did you what did you think of it? Six minutes is enough time to fall asleep. Did you did you fall asleep again? No. But also yes. Do you recall anything about the song then? No. Oh wow. I'm sorry. This is this is this is the part that's hard for me. It's not that it's not good. It's just that my body has a response. So instrumental tracks are just as kryptonite. That's what we've learned. This this whole project. It's not that they're bad or that they're boring. It's just music in dark places with my eyes closed makes me sleepy. Okay. Well, I'm have... driving in cars. <laughs> well, I have some standouts from this song. Uh, basically, I'm going to highlight each member of the band, each musician in the band, right? Because there's no singing in the song. <laughs> so I'm going to highlight the four musicians. We got John Petrucci on guitar. Jordan Roos on keyboards, John Mayung on bass, and Mike Portnoy on drums. And the singer resting his vocals. Yes. Usually this is the point where he leaves the stage and has some water. Yes. Okay. Uh, so first things first, we got John Petrucci on the guitar. So he sets, he basically like sets the, uh, the riff, right? Mm -hmm. He, he kind of sets the stage for everybody to follow along, right? Mm -hmm. So he, he lays down the riff and the other guys are going to follow. Just kind of doing the doodly 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 doodly, right? Just laying yeah. it down, and then the other guys are going to iterate on it, and they're just going to kind of play around with it a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Any thoughts on that? Makes me think of hammering. Hammering? Yeah, just like the drum and the uh, bass when they get together. The do 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 do. It just really sounds like work is being done. <laughs> it's, it, it's kind of like that that heavy metal guitar. I think, you know, yeah. just kind of, it has some Metallica influences in there. Yeah. I'm not saying it's bad. I was just like, no, I agree with you. Hammering. Yeah. The, the song one by Metallica has a very similar, right? I can't make a guitar noise with my mouth. Have you tried harder? So the next highlight actually is Jordan Rudis on keyboard. And this one's the most fun. So, Jordan Rudis took the riff that Petrucci was laying down and he's like, okay, I'm going to take that riff and I'm going to do something with it. And here's what he does. <laughs> Turns it into a cartoon. Uh, Ragtime, baby. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so 
this is like everyone's favorite part of um <laughs> of dance of eternity is mm. when when jordan pulls out the ragtime piano <laughs> right like because it comes out of nowhere but it's yeah. like no he's doing the same riff that petrucci was doing on the guitar uh and it just seems completely out of nowhere for a metal song but it just fits so well yeah think about it the the album is supposed to be like modern day setting also mm-hmm. looking back to 1928 why not have some yeah. ragtime right it fits. and when i was Watching those interviews, Jordan Rudis said, like, yeah, sometimes we'll be jamming and we'll just be writing a song. And uh, just to make the guys laugh, I might turn on like a funny sound and and play a little something silly. Right. Mm -hmm. And I did that for this song. And, you know, I was new to the band. I didn't know how they were going to respond. Mm -hmm. But I play this ragtime piano just as a little silly thing. And they go, we love that. Do that again. (laughs) And he's like, cool. (laughs) I found my home. (laughs) You're going to let me experiment with my my computer piano? Let's do it. Yeah, and I I, I've, I recall, I, I think I've seen them perform this song live a few times. And if I'm recalling correctly, they put on like old jazz swing video, yeah. like, you know, like old school film, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, jazz people like dancing. Yeah. <laughs> like with their flapper dresses and stuff. Swing dancing. Swing dancing. It's yeah. Good, it's good stuff. Yeah. I wonder if anyone's uh, done choreography to this whole song. Probably not the whole song. It's six minutes. There's probably some animations and stuff to this song for sure. Yeah. You know, like the kind of stuff they put up on the video screen. Yeah. As you're watching it just to, you know, accompany the music. All right. Next up, we want to highlight the bass extraordinaire, John Mayung. So people don't normally hear the bass in a song, right? Bass guitar, it's very subtle, mm-hmm. right? But in this point, it's like, no, John Mayung's going to get very loud and aggressive and this is this is bass guitar ladies and gentlemen he's not a loud or aggressive man yep that is uh that was a bass guitar it sounded like he was adjusting the radio and getting static for a little bit. <laughs> but just imagine he made those no he made he made all that noise with his fingers. <laughs> like I'm just thinking that's like that was like se- several dozen notes a second it seemed yeah, like. That's true. Yeah. Bass doesn't usually move that fast. Yeah, exactly. So I'm just imagining him just sitting there just <laughs> very impressive, very impressive. Very impressive. Clap clap. And uh the last part before I get into it cuz we're going to highlight the drums, uh Mike Portnoy. Uh mm-hmm. We've talked about it before. Progressive rock music, an element of it is uh, strange and unique time signatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm not well versed enough to ex- completely explain what a time signature is, but it ju- just know that it deals with rhythm and the no- the amount of notes that you fit into a meter of music, right? Right. Uh, and so you know most songs have a very standard four four three four mm-hmm. uh, time signature. Dream Theater throws that out the window and just does weird stuff, right? Mm. Um, it's even weirder when they change time signatures very quickly. It's like right. we're gonna they just throw said- out time signatures and the drum. Basically, the drummer is expected to think of we call something. Some people call it math rock mm-hmm. because he has to understand the like beats, the deep mathematical level of music to be able to keep up with the time signatures because he's the one keeping the beat Mm -hmm. so he's got to keep everyone on pace now the next bit of music from what i'm told is some of the hardest 
drumming and time signature stuff that a drummer is expected to do. Sounds like five guys playing the drums. <laughs> That's one man. Yeah. Like, if you're listening to all the different drum pieces in that last like 30 seconds I just mm-hmm. played, it's like he's playing like a different beat with each hand and foot. Yeah. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. He's using every extremity. At yeah. some points, he smacks his head into and the it's drum like, closest to him. I'm like, I can't even imagine having to pull that off. Um, Spoiler alert, uh, they had to go and find a new drummer at some point in the future. <laughs> um, and they used this song to test new drummers. This was the test. And it was so difficult that some of like the top drummers in the world who tried out failed this song. Oof. Because it's so difficult yeah. to drum to. Did they at least get to practice? Yeah, like that's what they were like. Everyone trained and was, you know, pra- getting into it. But it's like, no, no. It's not only an endurance test. It's like you have to have like the mental like acuity. Yeah. And the perfect ear precision to pull it off. And it's like you're, you're constantly thinking about the math involved. Yeah. And these are all call like these all these men went to music college, so, <laughs> you know, and Jordan Rudis, you know, learned he was a child prodigy. So yeah. he, he's been learning music since he was a child. Uh, so for all of them, they take this very seriously. Yeah, They're like, no, no, no. You can't just be good enough. You have to be able to do this. We we are expected to play it. And so the last portion is all of it coming together. I just want you to hear how many times they change the time signature. Just think about the rhythm of the song, right? Uh, it, this next like 30 seconds or so, like try to count how many times they switch up the beats of the song, I guess. Okay, I will try to count. Uh, pay attention. weirder and weirder from there i counted like five maybe i counted six maybe six but it's just like you hear how like uh, it's almost uncomfortable some of the the, the time signatures get right mm. i think that's the element it's like there are some time signatures that are just like more pleasant to listen to in pop music you know yeah this stuff seems like almost like reggae or you know <laughs> just kind of out there music just very strange it, I think the, the strangest comes in with how they're melding them together. Like, because they're all distinct sounds, and then in and of themselves, they're all distinct riffs, if yes. that's the right thing to call them. Yeah. But the gaps in between them to make one become the other, that 
that missing link is a little deformed. It's not the, like in a bad way saying that it's bad music, but it it catches you like, where are we go? Okay, yeah. we're here already. It's it's jazz like. This is probably the most jazz you're gonna get listening to Dream Theater, where it's like, yo, they're gonna they're just gonna move with the music and like this. I guess it's it's all mathematically sound the music they're playing, but it's just like I've never been good at math. It's out there. Um, so yeah, that's Dance of Eternity. Uh, it is the most dream theater song that there is. If I put it on, can we, would you dance with me? Would uh, you dance we, with me for six seconds? Would you, uh, old time rap swing with me? We'll, we can try. Yes, let's do it. Not on camera for you kids, just for ourselves. And the last song we're going to talk about for <laughs> dream theater tonight is scene eight. The spirit carries on. Where did we come from? Why are we here? Where do we go when we die? What lies beyond and what lay before? Is anything certain in life? They say life is too short, the here and the now, and you're only given one shot but could there be more have I lived before or could this be all that we've got if I died tomorrow I'd be alright because I believe that after we're gone the spirit Uh, so this is a uh, dream theater at their most Pink Floyd. Uh-huh. Uh, this song is definitely inspired by Pink Floyd. Uh, you hear it throughout the whole song, uh, but it's very pretty. It is very, it's very nice. It's uh, very soothing. It is very put, put, put someone to sleep. <laughs> lullaby. It's very lullaby. Yeah. And uh, like it, it, the opening up is just like acoustic guitar, clean singing, a little bit of piano. It's, it's just very simple. Uh, and like, I think that's something that I enjoy most about Dream Theater is like, yeah, they can go completely nuts uh, with a dance of eternity, but they always maintain the like the heart mm-hmm. of music, right? They always allow themselves to be, you know, to put out something that's a lot more simple and melodic, you know, something you would actually like sounds like, you know, a more traditional song sometimes. Right. Uh, because I feel like that's at the heart of everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. Something that all people enjoy. It connects with everybody. So. Spirit Carries On is, a, you know, just a very, like, simple, to-the-point song, but it's, I don't know, universal. Yeah. It's got a heart. Yeah. Uh, I agree. It's I think it's the melody more than anything else that really, like, calls to mind emotion, I guess? And people like to feel when they listen to music. Yeah. Uh, so the, the lyrics of this song, what do they what do they deal with? Loss. Death. <laughs> yeah. Uh, death, you basically, and more than that, like what happens after death and how we face death on an individual level. Correct. It begins, the song opens with questions, you know, like, why are we here? What happens when we die? You know, questions that everyone asks all the time. Mortality, bro. Mortality, bro. 
when you were reading through this or listening through it, what, uh, I don't know, it feels very melancholic. So the main character, Nicholas. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it feels less like, where do we come from? Where do we go? Cotton Eye Joe. Like <laughs> a happy kind of, not happy, but just like an inquisitive, like, oh my gosh, I need to know the answers to these to a more like, I just want to know because I'm going there now because whatever. Well, I, I think on it. So this song is kind of like this song is kind of the the culmination of Nicholas's story, really, you know, mm-hmm. like kind of the emotional climax or the emotional resolution of Nicholas's story you know, his side of things, uh, because at the start of the, the album, he's troubled, confused, desperate, right? Wayward even. Oh, no. Um, but this is him wrecking, like coming to terms with his own mortality, coming to terms with, uh, you know, just the troubles in his life, you know, and he's he's got a new lease on life. You right. Know what I mean, he says, I used to be frightened of dying. I used to think death was the end, but that was before I'm not scared anymore. I know that my soul will transcend. I literally have a note there that says, how does one grow out of fear of death? <laughs> well, well, some people find faith. I think that's one thing, right? But um, I think for Nicholas here, it's the rec- him recognizing that like, you know, in, in this, in the setting of this album, right? Like he is witness to another person's life, mm-hmm. someone who has passed away. Like he sees her soul transcend or, or live on into the future, right? Mm-hmm. Through him. Right. And to an extent, but right, also right. like her essence kind of like ripples through time, you know? Mm-hmm. So he is, he acknowledges that if, even if I die in my, you know, in my mortal shell here, uh, my soul will live on either through the memories of other people or, you know, even in this metaphysical sense where, you know, I, I could be living in another person's life. And he know. takes comfort in that. Yeah. That's surely terrifying to me. <laughs> I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having that mindset. But in a spiritual sense, it's like people find comfort in the fact that when they die, their soul's going to go to heaven or go to the afterlife. <laughs> no, yeah, you're. this is true. But I, I just, it's like, it stood out to me because like, and you know this about me, like, that's just still not a thing that's easy for me to, like, I absolutely just don't think about it because I'm like, that's scary for me. There are people who can be secure in their faith, can be secure in, um, their recollection of their past lives that, uh, they're like, oh, I don't have to fear. Like I will ripple. I will da da da. But you know, like, it's like one of the, it's such a big big thought because i think that like i'm not saying it's wrong this is just a discussion of yeah no i agree yeah just to go from these questions that that you would want certain answers like where you know where we where was i before i and i where was i before i became who i consider myself now where does this version of me uh and my personality my mind go after 
what happens, what goes beyond this thing. And those are things that are like, I don't have answers to that. And that freaks me out. Is that a control thing? Maybe a little bit, but it's also just like scary. And then for the character to get to this place where I used to be frightened uh, because I thought it was an end, but not anymore. I'm not scared because my soul will transcend, right? But it's not necessarily an answer to any of those questions. It's just saying my soul will go somewhere. Okay, but where? I don't, I don't worry about the where. I just know that it will go somewhere and I will exist. But will you exist as you? I don't worry about that. I just know it will happen. And it is amazing to me that people get there. I am not there. I literally still have panic attacks if I think about death too long. Well, I, I, feel, <laughs> like, I feel like having that um, faith in whatever it is, like passing on to the next stage, the next plane of existence, right? Beyond what we know, right? Mm -hmm. What we see. Uh, it's very like unnatural to like our our natural way of being right yeah. it's like we have this self-preservation that's like ingrained in us you know like that instinct you know but you know moving beyond that it's it's almost it, it takes a lot of like i don't know strength or like you know pushing i don't know <laughs> i i don't disagree it's it's wild to me like I'm definitely, I'm obviously not condemning that people get there. I, it's just one of those things where when you watch a national gymnast do 14 flips while in the air and then catch another bar and you're like, how? I understand that you can do it. Your body is, but how? You yeah. know, it's one of those things where I'm just like, oh, I'm I'm glad you've trained yourself and got, how did you train yourself to do that? It's, it's an outlook that needs a lot of training, a lot of yeah. effort, a lot of you know, work to get there. I get it. Yeah. And I feel like that's the quest of this album to an extent. It's like reaching that point of uh, contentment, mm -hmm. you know, in, in your own existence, in your own mortality, right? So if I die tomorrow, I'd be all right because I believe that after we're gone, the spirit carries on. That's kind of the point of the song mm -hmm. and the point of the album, right? It's the character reaching that conclusion. Heard it here, kids. You gotta get, you gotta get to work, and you gotta train. I, I mean, kids probably don't have problems with this. Well, half of them, <laughs> the half that take after you. <laughs> well, I feel like the. I feel like if if someone is extremely anxious about the the end of their own life, you know, I feel like they would be pushed to find comfort like this, right? It's like I feel like there's. I don't know. I, like, I, I would encourage you to like put in the effort to try and reach that. I don't know. You telling the kids or are you telling me Just anybody? <laughs> you know, it's it's like it's it's not a very healthy way to be to be constantly afraid of of your own death. Yeah, you know? that's true. You shouldn't. Instead, yeah. you should just put it in a cupboard and never think about it. <laughs> just have that fear behind you the entire time of your life, and then you just won't have a choice. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, we have to move on. I'm actually starting to feel a little sick. Uh, but the the only other line that I, I I highlighted here was move on, be brave, don't weep at my grave. Um, because I just thought, well, one when I first read this again, I was in a mood. <laughs> I was like, 
who gets to decide how people weep and grieve but i think it's one of those things that is interesting even about our culture well maybe not everyone's culture the culture you and i are a part of where we we try to celebrate right but like we don't we don't condemn weeping and grieving and being sad obviously right. because right. you get to feel how you feel right there's i think there's a saying somewhere that the deeper your 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 grief is the bigger your love was which don't love anyone. Uh, <laughs> I don't like being sad about people. <laughs> um, but I think that it's, this is one of those things where, I don't know. Would you tell people this? Like, don't, don't I mean, mourn yeah. for me. Yo, I, I was going to say, it's like, I, I honestly, I, I, we're saying it here on the podcast. It's going to be on oh, Podbean forever. I would like this song played at my funeral. So whoever's listening to this. It's your responsibility to make that happen. Uh, because like that line right there, I highlighted it too. Move on, be brave. Don't weep in my grave because I'm no longer here. But please never let your memory of me disappear. I would like that said at my funeral mm. and let James LaBrie say it to everybody. Oh, that's, that's so yeah. nice. Uh, because more or less, this feels like a, a song that you would use to comfort those who are like mourning you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, hey, I get it. You can be sad that I'm gone. You're going to yeah. miss me. But please don't feel sad. Like, don't think that it's like I'm just like gone forever. You mm -hmm. know, it's like, no, no, my my spirit has moved on to the next phase. Yeah. You know, and I... I recognize that in my life. I'm comfortable with it. Please feel comfortable with me, right? And then it's like, hey, but also don't forget me. You know, like, and I live on through your memories of me too. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of Coco. The movie Coco, <laughs> right? It's true. Uh, yeah. So it's like, more or less, this is like the perfect uh, funeral song, mm -hmm. except for the last stanza, which deals with <laughs> Victoria. Uh. Feels very out of nowhere. Wait, but I mean, if we're making a request for our funerals, I would like to put in, ha, whoever's listening, do not have a funeral for me. It's expensive and a waste of money. Burn my body and then go have a drink. <laughs> the last stanza says, Victoria's real. I finally feel at peace with the girl of my dreams. Eek. Yeah, it's like that, that, that people will hear that at my funeral and go, what, what the heck? If I die first, you can play that one. <laughs> if I die first, you can... I'll I'll be Victoria. Just just tell people that's the that's the nickname you had for me. Oh gosh, because <laughs> I had victory over you. <laughs> but I think that like this is a nice wrap up to who Nicholas was. Right? I, yeah, that's that, that's what it was meant yeah. to be. Yeah, and I I I was like this this is like an iconic Dream Theater song. It's a beautiful song. It's very it's it's just like nice to listen to. Um, the 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 words I feel like have meaning to a lot of people. Um, and I like it a lot. Yeah, me too. And that is just a taste of Metropolis Part 2, Scenes from a Memory. <laughs> would you recommend it? Yes, but not in the dark with your eyes closed. Okay. I, I, <laughs> I would also recommend it. I, I think it's like I've said, I've said this like with some of the other Dream Theaters albums that we've talked about. It's like you don't start with this one. But I will say you should 
If you are interested in Dream Theater in the slightest, Metropolis Part 2 isn't a bad place to start. Yeah, it's in his top three. Yeah, it's it's a really great album. So I, I say go for it. Let it take you places. Let it show you the world. <laughs> so what did the world think of Metropolis Part 2? Metropolis Part 2 Scenes from Memory reached number 73 on the Billboard 200 chart and number two on the Billboard Top Internet albums. It also reached the top 10 in Finland and in Germany. So it was a bigger success than their previous album. All right. Which more or less proved them right and the label wrong. Yeah. Good job. Like it wasn't a top 10 seller like a certain album we'll talk about in a few minutes (laughs) was. But this was, I think, a turning point where it's like, no, Dream Theater got their creative control and they were proven right. Listen to the artists. Uh, The album was critically acclaimed, with praise going to its musicianship, ambition, creativity, and storytelling. German magazine Rock Hard, warning the album a perfect score, said, Dream Theater takes their fans on a time-lapse trip through hell and back (laughs) without even beginning to stray from the right path. Buy this CD, devour it, absorb it, never let it go. (laughs) That's high praise from Rock Hard. And Webzine Metal Storm, in another perfect score, said, quote, The music is just amazing, beautiful, difficult to play, moving, and often perfect. <laughs> uh, to qualify, though, they continued, quote, Often and not always, because some songs are too long. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I was like, would you agree? Yes. Like, sometimes long Absolutely. songs are a detriment? Yes. Similarly, All Music said, quote, at times, it seems the album can bog down slightly in its own flights of fancy and long instrumental sections, but concentrated listeners reveal the intricacies of the song structures and the musicianship. Occasionally, it can seem as if James Labrie oversings, but that's a minor point. The overall end result is that the album is quite impressive indeed. Mm-hmm. Metropolis Part 2 Scenes from Memory was ranked number 410 on Rock Hard's list of 500 greatest rock and metal albums of all time, number 95 on Guitar World Magazine's list of the 100 greatest guitar albums of all time, number 29 on Rolling Stone's list of 50 greatest prog rock albums of all time, number 15 on Classic Rock Magazine's list of greatest concept albums, number 14 on Loudwire's list of top 25 progressive metal albums of all time, and number three on the Prog Reports list of the top 50 modern prog rock albums. Wow. Yeah. Three's really high. Sure is. Not saying it's bad. I was just, wow, good job. And in 2012, the readers of Rolling Stone voted the album number one on their favorite prog rock albums of all time poll. A. And in 2017, Pop Matters called the album, quote, the greatest progressive metal work of all time. If that wasn't enough, I, I say go for it. <laughs> Give it a listen. <laughs> Give it a listen. And what of the legacy of uh, this album? Tell me about it. Following the release of Metropolis Part 2 Scenes from a Memory, Dream Theater embarked on the extensive Metropolis 2000 world tour. The concepts reflected the theatrical aspect of the album, with the first half of each show comprising the entire Scenes from a Memory album, accompanied by a film showing dramatized portions of the story projected onto the video screen behind the stage. That's fun. Yeah, they were kind of showing you visual elements of what was going on in the story at the time are you sad you were only five and missed it (laughs) (laughs) for the last date of the north american leg of that tour in new york city actors were hired to play characters of the story and a gospel choir was enlisted to perform in some sections of the performance that's pretty so they got legit legit actors up there in costume to play the characters in the story 
and nobody recorded it. They did. <gasps> that show was filmed and eventually released in early 2001 as the band's first DVD release. Ooh, Metropolis, you saw that, didn't you? I've seen it. Metropolis 2000 Scenes from New York. The band also released the full show on the live CD, Live Scenes from New York. Uh, in 2003, the band released the official bootleg of the making of Scenes from a Memory through the Yitze Jam Records label. Nice. And for the album's 20th anniversary, the band performed Metropolis Part 2 Scenes from Memory live in its entirety throughout the entire Distance Over Time tour, which I attended. Hey! Yep, and so I I saw them perform this entire album live. They did not have, like, film reels or uh, actors on stage, but they did show animations of the uh, story. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, so it was like cartoons. We we love cartoons in this house. Yeah, it was was interesting, for sure. (laughs) And where did Dream Theater go from here? Well, that's a story for a different day. <laughs> <sighs> You're my favorite band. That's what you get. Yeah. So with that, that I is get. the end of uh, our first segment. Yeah. Uh, let's. <laughs> you know what? I think we're going to close out this segment with the end of The Spirit Carries On, where a huge gospel choir comes in, makes it feel very church-like mm. and epic. So we're going to close out with that, and we'll be back after the break with Jess's album of 1999. See you on the other side of the gospel, kid. We'll be back after these messages. The proficiency, the execution, dream theater, the distance over time tour. September 26th, the Louisville Palace, celebrating 20 years of scenes from a memory. And debuting songs from the new album, Distance Over Time, available now. Tickets are on sale now online at LouisvillePalace.com. Welcome back to Radio Disney. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sorry. <that's, laughs> 
That's what I this reminds known, me of. Should have known something was up by how you said. Welcome back. Ooh, that is not the right voice. Yep. Uh, by the way, I know we're not going to talk about this song later. Uh, th- this is just Whitney Houston. This just sounds like a Whitney Houston song. Oh yeah, you can, def- you can yeah. definitely hear like the Whitney influences in her and in Pink, but we're not talking about Pink today. This singer clearly is a a, a 90s version of Whitney Houston. Does he- I mean, and we'll talk about songs that are like, that's, this is this artist's, uh, I will always love you. This is this artist's, <laughs> uh, I want to love your, uh, I want to love somebody or whatever. Yeah. I want to dance you with somebody. I want to dance with somebody. Hey, that's what this is. This is this singer's, I want to dance with somebody. Of. Yeah. And who is that singer? Released August 24th, 1999, the debut best selling album of this teen pop superstar. That is Christina Aguilera by Christina Aguilera. Woo! Yeah. By the way, it's Aguilera. Oh, like, that's how you pronounce it. Everyone says Aguilera. It's like the whitest thing. It's like what happened when Midwestern Rubbernites started listening to pop music. <laughs> <laughs> Aguilera. Aguilera. Yeah. 1999. This is the 1999 album. It's the one. It's right? the peak 99. Are you sure Dream Theater was it? <laughs> <laughs> Not on the radio, was it? It's either this or I'm blue, Abba Dee, Abba Dee, right? Oh, yeah. You That's were... trance. It's a techno. EDM. EDM. Dang Ele- it. Electronica. Dang it. <laughs> I was so close. Oh, man. Yeah. So, uh, Christina Aguilera, why are we listening to this? Because we flipped a coin. I think there was other options. I think there was this, coin flipping. This was a stacked year for you. Yeah. And we'll talk about that at the end. But yeah, the, this, I remember that. It was like, you know, we went through like a dozen albums and you were just like, yep, 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 yep. Yeah. I think we even, we got down to, we had to count the songs that you knew. Yeah. And it was like, I think Christina like edged out by like one song. Yeah. It's like, I've definitely like listened to all, all the albums all the way through that, uh, you'll hear my runners up and this one as well. And I don't have a perfect memory like my husband. So I can't be like, oh yeah, I listened to this one far more. It just doesn't work like that for me. So it had to be, we literally didn't just go through the song list. We had to like play clips of the song. And I was like, do I remember this? Yes or no? <laughs> and that's how we ended on two albums. And then we flipped a coin. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. And uh What's your history with this album? Is it uh, was it uh, was it always on the boombox? Um, by '99, kids on my street would associate with me. Okay, and this was the music that's, that's that they good. listened to. No, that's good. <laughs> it is good. I started to be a less socially ter- ter- socially and le- less like Anakin, socially illiterate. It's not that I was illiterate. I was very well read as a You're child. Shy. You were shy. I'm. I was just not liked. <laughs> Did do you remember the first time you heard Christina Aguilera or like- it probably was Disney Channel or somebody's party that I was allowed to go to because my sisters were popular and I was f- forced to tag along. D- Disney, yeah, this was one of those Disney staples. That's why I brought him with Radio Disney because that's Makes where sense. I first heard it. I, I hope I hope in the break between this you put a Radio Disney um edit or a Radio Disney like you're listening to. Oh man. <laughs> I could try. <laughs> uh, yeah, like I was lis- I was listening to a lot of Radio Disney uh, in the car when in 1999. Again, I, I was like, my parents spoiled us too much. Mm. They put up with way too much. They were like, <laughs> oh yeah, R- Rod's in the car, Radio Disney. You know? Oh wow. I was like, it's horrible. If they had just started you off early with the the old classic rock, it you would have been, been weirder than you are now. <laughs> 
No, but yeah, so it was like this and Insane Backstreet Boys and yeah. all the other junk. Oh, yeah, this was the, about the year, uh, around the years where you started getting make fun of for listening we'll get, to the yeah, Backstreet Boys. This is correct. <laughs> yes, this is the, that era, you know. Uh, you you were finding your friends through Christina Aguilera, <laughs> and I was losing them. Oh, man. Um, I, I think it was like helpful that both my sisters can sing so beautifully, and I would just be like behind them, clapping slightly off beat. So it, it, it brought me <laughs> into, wow, my life is not as sad now, kids, just so you know. I am antisocial, though. It so just, it just took late 90s teen pop to, to, to break you out. That's right. She's coming out. She wants the world to know. <laughs> I uh, it, this this out al- like this album like a bunch of the songs on this album uh, remind me specifically. So around 1999, probably like this, like late 99, maybe maybe early 2000, my cousin Lanisha came to live with us for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she was staying in the room next to mine, and I just re- like of this time, I remember her listening to the stereo in her room, and like I just hear Genie in the Bottle on the other side, you know. So it's just like when I think of these songs i think of her in that little period where she lived with us in our house mm-hmm. Aww, yeah cute that's a nice memory but i was all sorry i'm gonna make christina mad but i was always a britney guy you know well that that is not surprising considering your sister your younger she was sister. more at at this time britney spears was a bit more child friendly than christina aguilar oh that's christina aguilar fair. like leaned into the sex appeal yeah that's fair <laughs> Uh, so which like, we will get into. Kids. I don't think they were playing Genie in a Bottle on Disney on Radio Disney at all. Like it's mm. it there's too much innuendo. There's way too much. But they were freaking playing Am a Sexual. Yeah. yeah, maybe. They might have. They might have even like censored Female that. Female sexuality is not something that we it, as it, a society promote. It's true. Censors censor female pleasure more than they do male pleasure. Yep. And uh like I remember, like, I'm just thinking back now, like, you know, second grade around that time. Like, I was in second grade in 99. And it was like every boy had a crush on Britney Spears, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure equally every boy had a crush on Christina Aguilera. Yeah. It's just the way it was. Yeah. It's just the way it was. Did I have a crush on them? No. Did you? (laughs) You had a crush on Howie. Howie was the man. <laughs> Four feet tall and wonderful. Did Christine ever date one of those bo- one of the boys? I the don't NSYNC know. Boys? What about your wife makes you think that she cares that I was, much I'm about just saying, anyone's this is life? Like, I, I was like, so, somebody was reading Tiger Beat in 1999 and they were getting all the gossip. That's true. <laughs> it was not me. I only know that Britney and Justin dated because there's a song that Justin put out after they broke up. Crimey River. That's the one. <laughs> Is and there's it? A, and there's a Britney lookalike in the whole video. Oh, that's uh, fun. <laughs> you didn't know that? Nope. Oh my gosh. The 90s is going to be fun. <laughs> the early 2000s. The early 2000s, yeah, the, I mean. The yeah. turn of the millennium, man. Oh, but let's... Uh, so there's a lot to get into because, you know, Christina's Aguilera, Christina Aguilera was a... Uh, you know, she she was she was performing from a young age, so we gotta, oh okay, yep, let's gotta, go. Oh, she was. Let's let's get into some history. Yeah, historia. Okay, I'm not gonna do that the whole time. Christina Maria Aguilera was born December 18th, 1980, in Staten Island, New York, but she grew up in the Pittsburgh suburb of Rochester with her mom and sister. Cool. Yeah, so she's that's her hometown is Pittsburgh. Oh, okay. She always, she always she brought it up in a bunch of interviews I watched. Mm. As a child, she was a fan of her grandmother's soul and blues records and began practicing to become a professional singer. Okay. She even earned a reputation in her neighborhood as, quote, the little girl with the big voice. <laughs> she's a tiny little thing, at least, you know, in the 90s. I She's like short? Yes. Yeah. Very short. Uh, but she has a woman's voice. 
We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Again with the voicing. She does. She has a very like, she doesn't have a child's voice. Anyway, we'll get into it. (laughs) At age eight, she won her first talent show after singing Whitney Houston's I Want to Dance with Somebody. At age 10, she competed on Star Search and made it to the semifinal round. And throughout her entire childhood, she sang the national anthem before various Pittsburgh sporting events, such as Pittsburgh Penguins hockey, Pittsburgh Steelers football, Pittsburgh Pirates, baseball, and the 1992 Stanley Cup finals. That's that is an illustrious career. Yeah, I think that's when they would announce her like, all right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, coming out to sing the national anthem. It's the little girl with the big voice, Christina Aguilera. (laughs) Christina Maria Aguilera. Yeah. In 1993, she landed a role on Disney's The Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah, she did. Alongside other future stars like Ryan Gosling, Carrie Russell, Mm -hmm. Britney Spears, and Justin Timberlake. Yep. Uh, The show was canceled the following year. (laughs) People bring up that factoid. Oh, yeah, they were all on the the Mickey Mouse Club. The Mickey Mouse Club was only around for a little while there in the 90s. Yeah. It was a revival because it was the thing my mom watched when she was a kid. I didn't know that. I mean, I obviously am not a Disney girl, so I've never watched the Mickey Mouse Club or knew anything about it. So I didn't watch it either. I was I was far too young. Aguilera then moved to Japan where she recorded her first song, All I Wanna Do, a duet with Japanese singer Keizo Nakanishi. In 1998, Aguilera returned to the US with hopes of securing a record deal. At the recommendation of RCA Records, she auditioned for a recording opportunity for the Disney film Mulan, which we covered in our 1998 movie episode. That's true. Quick pause. Tell me that you have the recording of the song that she sang in Japan. No, I I only have. Oh, of the song. No, I don't have that. How dare? Sorry. Yeah, it was. I want it. I will share it. Was on it Twitter. in English? Was it in Japanese? The, the song titles in English. I, I mean, I have no idea. It could go either way. <laughs> I will share it on Twitter. All share I want to do by Christina Aguilera and Keizo Nakanishi. So regarding Mulan, she recalled, uh, "Quote." Yeah, it's so cheesy how I got it, but it's really cool. My manager gives me a random phone call out of the clear blue one day while I'm just hanging out in my hometown of Pittsburgh. He's like, can you belt out the high E above middle C? And this is now known as the note that changed my life because basically I had to prove that I could belt this note, like full on belt it, by FedExing out overnight a karaoke tape of me singing over Whitney Houston's I Want to Run to You, which, which has that note, just like Reflection. And I had to sing this in my bathroom for the acoustics. <laughs> Bathrooms have always been the MVP of home singers. Also, like she's definitely like Whitney's one of her heroes, obviously, because mm-hmm. like she she won her first talent show with Whitney. She used Whitney to prove that she could sing this note. Yep. For uh for the song Reflection. Yeah. Whitney was a big influence in her life. I'm saying as a person who didn't do any in in as saying as a person who didn't do any research whatsoever, but can definitely infer from all the things that you have been saying. It's apparent having we've li- we've talked Whitney twice for Media Made. We talked about her 85 debut in 1992's The Bodyguard. Mm-hmm. So having heard those two albums and now hearing this one, it, it's pretty it's really clear the the parallels there. Yeah, I think it's really interesting what we're going to see going on in the future as we're getting into 2000s music, especially the pop stuff. Um, what of the things that we've heard before are really going to be influencing? Yes, I agree. In the same way that like you can sit here and say like, oh yeah, that uh, Dream Theater riff right there is definitely from Pink Floyd, Pink Floyd, and da 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 da. Like being able to clearly see the influences is right. so interesting. It is very interesting. Coincidentally, the same week that she got that call from Disney, Aguilera landed a recording deal with RCA. She was only seventeen at the time. Wow, how old was she when she went to Japan? Did you say an age? 14. Whoa. 
Feeling pressure to capitalize on the contemporary teen pop craze evoked by Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, Britney Spears, and the like, RCA reportedly rushed production of Aguilera's debut album to get it out by September 1998 in order to align her as part of the teen pop trend. Obviously, they didn't make that deadline, but... Mm -hmm. uh, she was right there. Right, and like... I was reading some like interviews that she had done, even around the time of the album. She really didn't want to do straight teen pop at the time, but that was kind of record pressure. Yeah. Uh, she wanted to, you know, incorporate more R and B and you know soul and stuff, right. stuff that she grew up listening. But, yeah. You know, obviously, you know, she had her corporate kings, and <laughs> they were like, "No, you need to uh, do more teen pop." Yeah. I mean, you can still hear the influences in here, and she definitely gets a little bit more leeway later in the years she that we sure may does. or may not address in this show. We won't. <laughs> <laughs> Recording took place over six months in Los Angeles between 1998 and 1999, with Aguilera working with a bevy of producers like RCA executive Ron Flair. Woo! Oh, dear. Different Flair. Uh, Guy Roach, Johan Alberg, David Frank. Carl Sturkin and Evan Rogers and an up-and-coming Robin Thicke. Oh, can you say Guy Roach one more time? Guy Roach. I cut my life into pieces. <laughs> no. <laughs> you got the woo. But wait, is this the second time we've heard of Thicke? No, 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 no. No, no this is it. Like, this is one, is it, one of Robin Thicke. Because Robin Thicke, is, I think, is the son of someone famous. Yes, another Thicke. Another Thicke. Alan Thicke. And he's, Literally Alan Thicke. He's an actor. <laughs> is that the guy from Growing Pains? Yes, yes, it is. is. Yes, it is. <laughs> hey, how about that? Anyway, Alan Thicke's son, Robin, this is like one of his earliest gigs as a producer, writer. So, yeah, he wrote a song. We're not going to talk about it because uh, it just really wasn't all that interesting. Yeah, it really wasn't. Yeah. But, hey, you know, this is this is a decade before Blurred Lines. Only a decade? <laughs> Roundabouts, yeah. I think so. Yeah, okay. I think Blurred Lines is a movie 2011. Okay. More than a decade. But yeah, so there you go. That's, a, that's your factoid for today. <laughs> Christina Aguilera, The Album, released in August 1999, and Christina Aguilera, The Woman, began a huge promotional push, appearing and performing on television programs like The Rosie O'Donnell Show, TRL, Beverly Hills 90210, and the Teen Choice Awards. Ah, that's cool. And that's that's all I got. Oh, all right. Yeah. She had a pretty prolific young life. She did. And like, unlike with Baxter Boys, where I had to like list out five oh, yeah. prolific young lives, Goodness. just one, just one. I was like, I was like, I'm fine with this because it's not five of them, five of them that make me feel very small and unaccomplished. It's just the one. <laughs> I'm a big girl with a small voice. She's uh, she's living her dream though, so we can't we. You know, we yeah, can't she had her. this dream from like the age four. She's like, yeah, I'm gonna be a singer. And she did. Who among us? <laughs> what did you want to be at four? Uh, an artist, I guess. I wanted to be a person with friends. Podcast is art. <laughs> and you had friends. I have friends now. <laughs> we're all living our dream. Uh, but that's that. So uh, let's jump into the album because we got some hits we're going to talk about. I think all four of the songs we're going to talk about were singles. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But really? Yep. Even the third one? Mm-hmm. Okay. They all had music videos. All we're, right. we're not going to talk about those. <laughs> Maybe briefly because I don't have any information on them. No, no, no. Uh, but yeah, the first song we're going to talk about, it's a big one. It's called Genie in a Bottle. Someone to release me. You look in your lips 
right? Is that how that goes? Yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah. So genie in a bottle. Don't. <laughs> this is the one, right? This is the big hit, right? <laughs> quick, uh, quick warning, kids. We're probably gonna talk about sexuality. We can't we ignore can't, it with this we song. We can't not. So I just, I just want you to, you know, prepare your your ears and your hearts and your minds for hearing your aunt and uncle go through this or turn it off. Yeah, I was like, it, it's just the way it is, you yeah. know. And I'm like, uh, like this song is so filthy. <laughs> it's really not clean. <laughs> and it's like. Putting it in the mouth of this little, like she was 17 at the time, she right? Needs, she needs some orbits. Dirty mouth? <laughs> Clean it up. Goodness. <laughs> but I'm sitting here like, they they were like the people in charge, the record company, her manager, they knew what they were doing. Like, yeah. They were like sexing up this little girl. Yep. There are two men credited as the songwriters and, here. And one woman. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why she's not listed in yours. But Me Je neither. Genie in a Bottle was written by Steve Kipner, David Frank, and Pamela Shane. Oh, Pamela. Yeah. Oh, well, mm, that makes more a little bit more sense because I was like, I can see men going like, make it sexy and then writing some stuff and needing a woman to be like, that's not sexy from us. That's not as a woman, not into that. Anyway, uh, this was a late addition to the album. Aguilera almost didn't record the song at all as, quote, because there were a lot of other artists out there that were after this song. So we had to fight a little bit to get it. Oh, that's cool. Like new artist or yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just like one of those songs. Like it had been, it had been written and submitted to all these different record companies, and so like everyone liked it. Yeah, everyone was vying for it. You know, and young Christina got it. Gross, but I mean, iconic. Also, oh, apparently uh, Christina also had a bit of writing input on the song. Oh, uh, she stated that she adjusted some instruments and lyrics after being displeased with the song's rough beginnings. That makes sense. I could see that, like, because that's where I really see, like, when we're like, oh, yeah, no, there's R&B flair in here. It's not, like, teen pop that much. And yeah. it, that opening, oh, definitely closer to some smooth jazz. Correct. But, yeah, it's like, what what is this song about? It's, it's about sexiness. It is about a woman having autonomy over her body and choice. That's what the song's about. I'm like, yeah, I was like, it, it's a, it could be about both. Could be oh, about, no, yeah, it is about yeah. both. You're licking your lips and blowing kisses my way, but that don't mean I'm going to give it away. Yep. Hormones racing at the speed of light, but that don't mean it's going to be tonight. It's about definitely sexuality, but it is about a woman or a girl in this having the ability to make that call, right? Like to say like, yeah, I do have hormones. Yes, I think you're hot. Yes, my body is saying, let's go. But that other part of me is saying no. So we're going to go with the no, because that's what I'm saying. So I just, you know, it's a good song in that way. It's still filthy. <laughs> so I, I, I'm just saying, you're picking up what Aguilera was putting down. Yeah. Because she said in, in an interview that, Quote, the song is not about sex. It's about self-respect. Yep. It's about not giving in to temptation until you're respected. Yeah. And that's that's the woman's input on the song. <laughs> like 100%. That's why I was like, oh, yeah, I could I could see this kind of thing. Because it's like, it's also really upfront about the fact that 
women have their own version of like sexual not version of have their own sexuality and view of it you know i think even uh and not like shying away from it not like hiding it like oh lovely flat like being very upfront <laughs> and uh just even the first real words of the song i feel like i've been locked up tight for a century of lonely nights waiting for someone to release me one virgin it's talking about virginity yep two <laughs> to release me <laughs> I, I i'm telling you it's innuendo yeah it's but it it is like not like that's the thing it's not shying away from the physicality of it like where there's a lot of songs that are like oh flowers and love is wonderful this is talking about the physicality of yeah. what it's not it's not um it's not repressive right? yeah yeah i was like i feel like a lot of songs even the ones like some of the songs that written by the for the backstreet boys or whatever it was like some of the songs were really repressed you know it's about like expressing sexuality without expressing sexuality yeah you know yeah, just don't don't go out. You immediately got a flashback to the Backstreet Boys. That song that's just like, yeah, I'm just ready. Let's do it. And it's like, no, dude. Ew, gross. <laughs> uh, and I, I hate to say it, but there's some R. R Kelly in here. My body's saying let's go, but my heart is saying no. That's very similar to uh, no, my mind is telling me no, but my body, my body, my body is telling me yes. Telling me yes. Sorry, you're right. It, it is. Um, but even put a note there, right? Like knowing the difference is important. Underscore important, right? That sometimes our bodies. What? Can I tell you, kids, how many times my body wants thirty-five cookies for dinner? Like you know those prepackaged cookies that you can that you can just get from Toll House, break up. There's twenty-four in a pack. You just pop them in the oven. I just want to eat those for dinner. Yeah, I was like, I get it. Like, <laughs> our bodies are ruled by passions, you know, and my passion for cookies. And like, it, it's, it's about a. I can understand this song being about like, you know, the the struggle of of you know self control and self respect. I guess if you want to use Christina's words. We did it all for the cookie. Oh, the cookie. Yeah. I think you're right. It, it really embodies that. I like to. Um, I like that this is technically categorized as a teen pop in a sense because it is talking about like knowing the difference, you know, like find like taking the time to meditate and feel like that just because I want to doesn't mean it's a yes, right? Like, yeah, I, I understand that. Uh, and I like that this is a song that teens were singing. I mean, hopefully they didn't miss those parts and the rest of the like really repetitive sexy jam parts. But I tell you what, as a kid, the 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 chorus did not resonate with me on how <laughs> gross it is. <laughs> I'm a genie in a bottle, baby. Gotta rub me in the right way, honey. Uh -huh. I'm a genie in a bottle, baby. Come, come, come on and let me out. <laughs> And I'm like, <laughs> so gross. And I, I it, it's, it's, I don't know. It, I know that she's like 
like she's participating. It's like mm-hmm. she's she's the artist here. But yeah. like I don't know. It seems gross to me mm-hmm. that, and it almost seems exploitative to have a young seventeen-year-old girl singing the song. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. No. And I I hear you. I definitely think it. See, this is this is the weird thing that I always feel about stuff at this time, and even currently, like younger, like in the contemporary we are right now in 2022, when I hear songs that come out by like teenagers or like barely out of their teens that are raunchy or that are like in this vein, I'm of two minds where I'm like, you're too young to be singing about that. But the other mind is, okay, but I was a teenager and I know what people were doing at even as young as 14. And so it's like one of those things where it's like, you know, where I was like, I, I get it. I feel like I feel gross because it's being masterminded by gross old men. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, you know, this isn't news to them, though. Right. And maybe maybe some boys could stand to hear that you need to work for it. <laughs> Might have been OK in the US, but in Malaysia, uh, it was not OK. Oh, in that country, the controversial lyrics uh, caused the song to be banned. Uh, and Aguilera had to re-record some of the lyrics so that it would be unbanned. So there's <laughs> fra- a clean version. Somewhere? Yes, there is. Phrases like hormones racing turned to heartbeats racing and rub the right way was changed to treat me the right way. Hmm. That might have been the Disney, the radio Disney version. That, that's certain to sound familiar. You got to <laughs> treat me the right way. That sounds yeah, familiar. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, I do remember the treat me version. Um, that's so interesting. And that's also one of the things that like what I was saying about this this song not being repressed because it's not talking about love in this flowery sense, treat and heartbeats and da da da. It's saying straight out like the physicality of it. I think that's why I appreciate the song for what it is and yeah. like lyrically, even though, right, there are, are things like if you want to be with me, I can make your wish come true. You got to make a big impression. Like, what's that? What's the impression? You know, or music's playing and the lights down low. It's one more dance and then we're good to go. Go to where? Go to what? You what? know what? Waiting for someone who needs me. Mm, you know, there are things in there. And that's to say that there's nothing wrong with changing the lyrics to be less aggressive. But I think that that loses um a good amount of like what it's trying to actually say right that it's i'm special and i am magic and i will not answer (laughs) to anyone but myself when it comes to my sexuality i was out of curiosity i looked up did this song get the kids bop treatment it did not (laughs) (laughs) at least not on the first one because kids bop debuted in 2001 oh so yeah we needed kids bop in 2001 there was a Christina Aguilera song featured on that Kids Bob album, but it was not this one. Yeah, I, I don't think there was a way they could <laughs> they make could, this one they work. They treat me the right way. <laughs> There's so many other things in here. I know, I was just <laughs> curious. And I would, yeah. yeah, so that would have been silly uh, and wholly inappropriate. We would have closed with it, though. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> I hate Kids Bob. Uh, is that all you have to say about this? Uh, yeah, that's I all think, I have yeah. to say. Uh, to sum things up, this was Aguilera's first number one single. Uh-huh. It shot... Ch- it topped the charts for five consecutive weeks on the Billboard Hot 100 due to strong physical CD sales and airplay, having the longest stay at number one of 1999. Additionally, it was certified platinum in almost every country it was released in. Just not Malaysia. <laughs> it might, maybe even Malaysia. <laughs> um, also, I have a bit of audio fun. 
Okay. I'm not, I'm, oh no, are we doing club versions? No, no, okay. no. There are there were club remixes of these songs, and they're horrible, and they're I not very it. fun. They're just like bad and lame. I feel like the original song is very club esque already. Why do we need to? Oh yeah, like, they're they're horrible. Oof. Horrible. Anyway, give me uh, your audio fun. So in 2001, Aguilera recorded a Spanish version of Genie in a Bottle. Oh yeah. Entitled Genio Atrapado, uh, for her second album Mi Raflejo. Ah. Yeah. So uh, I have, if you want to hear it, the Spanish version of Genie in a Bottle. Now let's move on. I think she's doing like Castilian Spanish in there. Hmm. I heard some, I heard the jaja noise. still good it's still very catchy yeah it is still extremely catchy uh so uh the song's lyrics were translated from english to spanish by cuban-american producer rudy perez uh, he did the same for a bunch of songs featured on mi reflejo ah that makes sense that's yeah. cool uh so i'm not going to do this for every song we talk about but just know every song we do talk about today also has a spanish version that's cool i want to hear the spanish version of the next song uh, i don't have that why? Uh, but anyway, uh, we're transitioning away. What is that next song? We've heard it before on Media Made. It's called Reflection. Hey! But parentheses, pop version. <laughs> is it a cover? Look at me. You may think you see who I really am. But you'll never know me every day It's as if I play a part Now I see if I Yeah, man, it's... it's Still good. It's still good. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, obviously Christina did not sing Reflection in the movie. Right. That was a, that was a, a different singer who mm -hmm. sang that. The woman who played uh, Princess Jasmine, right. in fact. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's like... Christina does a very good job yeah. in this song. I like, want to say this is like where you really see her soul and R&B roots. Like they couldn't really pop this up. It's a pop version, but nope. This is th this is what I was talking about. This is Christina Aguilera's uh, And I Will Always Love You. Mm, you know? Yeah. Like, it's just like Whitney Houston had that big like bopper song in, yeah. uh, in The Bodyguard. Mm -hmm. This is Christina Aguilera's big, big bopper. And she does, in fact, bop. <laughs> Uh, just to get this out of the way, Reflection was written and produced by Matthew Wilder and David Zippel for the soundtrack of Disney's 1998 animated film, Mulan. Which we didn't talk about. We did talk about it, and <laughs> you can listen to that conversation in our 1998 movies episode. Yeah. Um. Why did we pick the song? You picked it. <laughs> and I thought, why? We did this already. And why? Did you remember why I said? I don't remember why, oh. but I can understand it now. 
Yeah. The lyrics are different. Yes, they are. And that's why I was surprised when I did the notes here. I was like, oh, the lyrics are different. How yeah. about that? I know. That's so, what it, I was like. Well, one, we didn't sit and really talk about the song. And two, it's a different song. It is. It's got different lyrics. Like, I have the original versus the the the, the new version here with Christina. Mm-hmm. The pop version and the movie version. Yeah. Right? Like, the, 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 the movie version starts with, look at me. I will never pass for a perfect bride for a perfect daughter. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, that is very specific to the plot of Mulan. Yeah. Whereas for Christina, it's, look at me. You may think you see who I really am. But, but you'll never know me. Yep. But you'll never know me. <laughs> Every day. Um, and and there's a whole middle, <laughs> a whole middle section that is not in the song and not in the movie. Which one's that? Uh, there's a heart that it must be free to fly that burns with need with a need to know the reason why. Why must we all conceal what we think, how we feel? Must there be a secret me forced? I'm forced to hide. Um, I know we talked about this in the Mulan, um, but I just think that it's a really obviously heartfelt. It's really heartfelt and taking it out of the context of Mulan, because when we talked about it in Mulan, I was just like, it's it's we were talking about how she said, I will never pass for a perfect uh, bride or a perfect daughter and how that is so central to the culture and to the 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 period of time she was living in. Like yeah. if she can't pass for that, she literally has no worth as a woman, right? Um, and how like, wow, that's really like, but this, because there's more verses and, and everything like that, like is something that you can connect to even if that's not your culture. If yeah. you're just a person living in the world and the world is hard, you know, I think that we all have a lot of different masks that we wear in our lives. <laughs> and this song hits very close to home on a lot of levels i think yeah and i i actually like i highlighted that lyric where she talks about wearing a mask because now i see if i wear a mask i can fool i could fool the world but i cannot fool my heart yeah now i see if i wear a mask i can fool the world but i cannot fool my I was like, I, 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 for Mulan, this was her I want song. This could be Christina or any young girl's I want song, mm-hmm. right? It's like, I want to be myself, yeah. right? It's like, I don't, I, I don't want to stop. I want to stop fooling everybody. Mm-hmm. I want people to accept, accept me for who I am inside. Yeah. Is that a line from the song? It's a line from some song. <laughs> it's close. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I will show the world what's inside my heart and be loved for who I am. Yeah. 
Yeah. There's a line even just before that says, I am now in a world where I have to hide my heart and what I believe in. I am now in a world where I have to hide my heart and what I believe in. But somehow I will show the world what's inside my heart and be love for who I am. And I think that that, I like, highlighted that I circled it <laughs> because I think it's one of those things where I don't know I feel like obviously we've talked a lot about me growing up and being friendless because nobody wanted to be my friend and it wasn't like when you're that young you have very little artifice I think like growing up all through middle school uh no that's not the one all through elementary school it's not as though I could have pretended to be very much of anyone else. And so it was very, very obvious that I wasn't liked because of me. And some of it, I grew up in an area where I was one of the darkest people uh, and there were not a lot of black people at all. And a lot of the stuff that I got was because uh, of colorism and stuff like mm. that. We're not gonna go into it, but um, Ah, so this is not new to some of the kids who are listening and definitely not new to you, right? I grew up with like a lot of self-worth issues. Like I don't even call, say that I have bad self-esteem. Like I have to really fight to like believe in my worth because there came a time where, um, I don't know, I, I was telling you this, uh, I started a new job recently and I was talking to one of the people who were training me and like I had to go do something. And I was like, ugh, people like make me nervous. I'm like, an intro, like an extreme introvert. And they were like, really? And I have to like, remember, there's a lot of stuff about myself that I have to like put on the back burner or hide or people won't want to deal with me, won't mm. um, want to waste their time on me. Like I am an extreme introvert. I do not like making friends. I do not, as much as I wanted friends when I was young, I just don't have the space for it now because I was never trained <laughs> to make space for people. Um, but I also know, like, I have a deep belief in myself that if I'm not out there connecting with people, it's not because I'm not trying, it's because nobody wants to try with me, right? That was one of the reasons that I tell people you tricked me into dating and marrying you, right? Because I was like, uh, fine, I'll date you, but in six months you'll dump me because you'll see that I'm a trash person like everyone does, like when you mm. get close to me. And like, it's things like that. Like when I, when I read the song, when I'm like, really in my hormones <laughs> and i i like like let's just put on songs to cry to just because crying by yourself is fun um it's things like this right where you like now i know i'm in a world where i have to hide my heart in the things that i believe in right like it's taking me i'm 32 three i'm either 32 or 33 years old and it's it took me until i was probably around 28 to be secure in the stuff that i like like i'm a little bit of a nerd um, I love Doctor Who. I love watching Korean dramas and learning languages just so I can watch TV in in those shows. Not because I want want to like necessarily have conversations with people. I just want to be able to watch TV and turn my head and not miss something. Like I love to eat and and go just for travel. My idea of fun is sitting quietly in a bookshop or a cafe and I enjoy myself. But it took me a while to not think like, oh, I need to be going to this party. I need to dress like this. I need to do these things. Because because um, that's what the world imposed on me. That's what I, I had to do um, to be accepted, right? To be a 
to fit all the roles I'm supposed to be, like uh, a good black girl, a good daughter, a good sister, a good employee, a good friend, like to fit all these different things, there are standards that I thought were imposed on me by the world. And so that's what I had to live by. And that's obviously hard, right? Like, again, I'm in my 30s. Kids, if you're struggling with this, get some help. <laughs> um, talk it through, find like safe places and safe people to talk through things like this because it's it's amazing to be able to like feel like the end of this uh, song where like, you know, inside of you, right? Like that your heart is burning to be who you really are and, and find people that like will really see you for that. And for you to think like, no, I don't have to hide that. Like the people who don't like my energy, who don't like the things that I like, like I don't need to spend any more time with them than absolute necessary. If I work yep. with you, I only got to spend up to eight hours with you in your presence. I don't necessarily need to talk with you that much. Like we just need to get things done and move on. Like I don't waste my mind and my thoughts on those people who might hate me, but probably don't give me a second thought because I'm not in their sphere. They don't care. And like, I need to be okay with that. And some days it's easier than other days, but you know, I, this song just really connects with me. And I, in can, that. I connect with that. I mean, I, it was like, I, I think all through elementary school, middle school, high school, it's like, I, was putting on like a facade to like hide who I really was, I guess, you know, like just kind of like either just be very like reserved and monotone and quiet because I didn't mm -hmm. want to like speak out and draw attention to myself or I didn't advertise like, yeah, I love this and that. I love, I don't know, video games and being a nerd or mm -hmm. I don't know. Like I just, I, I sometimes I'm a big goof, <laughs> but like, and it was just like a very reserved repressed thing you know and then i go to high, or i go to college and i'm like who cares I just do whatever <laughs> i want like wear, buy a big long trench coat and just walk around it makes me feel good i guess you know trench coats make me feel good <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know just like i'm just like i, I can just be who myself. i can wear what i want and not have to deal with it you know yeah. it's like uh i can wear black pants every day yeah because I like wearing black jeans, you know, and it's like, I don't have to wear blue jeans, you know, I don't know. That was a very big thing. You know, it's like, I felt like, no, it's super free. I felt like I was going to stand out if I just, if I didn't wear blue jeans, like everyone else, which is like the stupidest thing in the world. But that's how I felt. Yeah. You know, no, I feel you like, yeah, it's so empowering to be able to step into that, to just be like, nope, I'm my own person. If you can't deal with that, go to the next page. We're coming out. <laughs> we want the world to know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but that, like it's it's a simple song. It's, it packs a lot, has a lot of feels. So I agree with it. Can we play the end of this song out? Because I feel like we're done. <laughs> Yo, I, you want to hear the high note? Because yes. I got it. The the note that changed Christina's life. The one. Good job, lady. Excellent job, young woman. There were many, many people who needed to hear that. Why don't you have the Spanish versions? We have Spanish kids, Spanish-speaking kids that want to hear that. 
You gotta if if your album had been me reflejo, it would have worked, <laughs> but it wasn't. Was that your 2002 album or whatever? Was that I your, could make it happen. Is <laughs> that your 2000 album? I'll just listen to it a bunch of times. <laughs> no, before we do our next recording. Anyway, um, just to wrap up this conversation, Aguilera's version of this song was redubbed into a number of languages for various foreign language releases of Mulan's soundtrack, with different singers as yeah. well. The Latin American version was performed in Spanish language by a Mexican singer, Lucero. Cool. The Mandarin version was performed by Hong Kong American singer and actress, Coco Lee. Cool. And the Korean version was performed by Korean American singer, Lena Park. Nice. And in 2020, Aguilera re-recorded the song for Disney's live-action adaptation of Mulan. I would say about that music video, her dress, excellent. <laughs> People said, like, the, the, the re-recording was so good, it should have been nominated for an Oscar. Mm. But uh, I don't even know if she was eligible. Yeah, because it was already a song. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. The next song we're going to talk about is also a single I was surprised to learn. Yeah. It even has a music video. Huh. That song is So Emotional. This, the, this, the, the vibe of this song is very, like, contemporary for this time. I feel like yeah. this is, like, your boiler pro, boilerplate R&B pop song for, 19, like, 94 to 99. Mm -hmm. It's, like, they all, like, if it was generic pop, it was this song, yeah. this vibe. Like, again, this seems like it was written by some people, and it could have gone anywhere. <laughs> Backstreet Boys could have done this. NSYNC. Yeah. R. Kelly. Yeah. Diddy. Anybody. Like, yeah, this is this is very milk toast. Milk I toast is the right perfect word for <laughs> this song's vibe and lyrics. It is so un Inspired. exceptional. Yeah. That being said, I love I love I love brick toast. Brick toast is delicious. Anyway, so emotional was written by Fran Gold. Oh, speaking of this song was very old. By 1999. It was originally written for Tejano singer Salinas. Wow. Yep, but she died tragically in 1995 before Stop. she could sing. So, <laughs> rest in peace, Salinas. Uh, but like, yeah, it just been sitting in the, you know, the Archive. can. Waiting for someone to sing it. It should have so. stayed there. <laughs> I don't like this song. This song sucks. This song's not. I literally have three notes on this Why page. did you pick this? Because it uh, sucks? Because I the vibe. It was literally just the music. I was like, I like the music. I feel like it's good. We we when we give these samplers for these albums, like mm -hmm. we need to like kind of keep it well rounded. It's like yeah. we gotta have the good with the bad and not give everyone the false impression. Yeah. It's like, yeah, this song, like, there is filler on this album, and like this is a single, and the single's not good. Imagine yeah. what the filler sounds like. It's not good. Yeah. Like that song by Robin Thick. Not good. It's boring. Just yeah, like this. It is. The this only got the edge up because um I the musicality is fun and her vocals, not the words she's saying, but her vocals aren't like you make me huh. It's just oh wow, that was really flat, but I'm not a singer. <laughs> uh you know, like it's it's a nice to listen to it, it, in a like in the background kind of way. Lyrically, it's like <laughs> 
trash. The, the opposite of uh, of Genie in a Bottle. Yeah. Like Genie in a Bottle was like sexy, but also like in a I don't know, like kind of a mature way. Yeah. In a, in a way, this is like very immature. Like. Yeah, I just wrote real big. Bad song, troubling song. Not relationship goals. No. It's either black or white. That's right. We're making love. We're we're in a fight. Sometimes you make me so blue. From the fight? <laughs> black and blue. But then it feels so good, I knew it would. You know the way you make me crazy. I want it to give it to you. I hate it. You see the black or white. That's right. We're making love or we're in a fight. Sometimes you make me so blue. Mm, but then it feels so good. I knew it would. You do the things that make me crazy. I want to give it. I was, that was like, that was the so they're in like, they're just in like a turbulent relationship. Yeah. That's the whole song. It's like, hey, our, our, we have a, we have a relationship that's either like we are madly in love with each other, very passionate, or we hate each other. We're fighting. It's yeah. like, and we bounce back and forth between those two extremes. And it's like that is not a good relationship. Eminem does better. He has a song that's like this. Get out of that relationship. It's real bad. It's real bad. Get out of there. Leave. Go. That's a destructive relationship. Don't make it work. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. <laughs> it's this song. Ugh. I'm sorry, kids. I know we're not going to probably stay on this too long, but it's the, the those what, what, what Rodney just read is the first two verses. The song is very short. It is very short. Yeah. <laughs> um, And it was just about like people fight. Relationships are two people who have different ideals. Like unless you are in a relationship with a clone of yourself. I feel like I fight with a clone of myself too though. Yeah, you would because you're just contrary. I love you though. Um, like <laughs> it would be the most unproductive relationship ever. It would be the ever. most unproductive relationship. One of you would be like, oh, let me fix this. No, I've got it. No, I've got it. No, I've got it. Hey, I don't need your help. Oh my gosh. Hey man, maybe we should watch Lawrence of Arabia. No. Well, no, I don't want to watch that. Well, I don't want to watch either. <laughs> okay, so every relationship. <laughs> Um, is going to have strife, is going to have like hard times. But if that's the determining factor, if that's the like the dis- the factor that you would use to explain, like to describe your relationship, no, like we're either like on fire or setting each other on fire. <laughs> mm, we need some chill. Like I I don't know about you kids, but I can't feel that deeply all the time. You like can't- I will stop coming home. I will stop. You can't keep that up for that long. You know, like you can only exist in that type of relationship for so long. Yeah. And the people that do exist in it for very long, get some help. (laughs) (laughs) Please put the Michael Jordan clip here. Stop Stop it. Just stop it. Get some help. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's not, it's not love. Like, no. Here's the thing. I don't want to like define like this is the definition of love and this is how you know you're in love. Like love looks different for every single person and then again looks different when you are in combination with different people, right? Like I love you, Rodney, this way. Um, I loved my first boyfriend, not the same way, you know, kind of thing. This, this song's just passion. You're my first boyfriend. <laughs> The song is just passion. That's yeah. all it is. It's not love. It's passion. And passion can be fleeting. Yeah. Like, the, 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 the chorus of the, the song is like so silly. It's like, you make me feel so emotional. I can't let go. I'm so emotional. I'm sinking deep in an ocean full of you. I'm so emotional. You 
I hate that. Yeah. An ocean of you. I think the thing that you just said about you can't like just have something run on passion because passion is two things. Like it's not one thing, right? Like it's passionate love, I guess. Passionate anger. Like if you're always at a 10, like no bueno. (laughs) Uh, And this is like, I don't want to sink in an ocean full of you. Ew, is it like sweat? Just sweat the (laughs) uh, ocean of your, a bathtub filled of your sweat. I was like, yeah. and that's the thing is like, if you're that deeply, like deeply in passion with somebody, right? It's like their, their ocean's going to dry up, you know? And it's just like, you got to It's got to subsist on something else. Oh my gosh. Let me just read the next line. Freaking. You take me high and low, you know, I never, I'm never sure which way you're going to go. That's not okay. You're such a mystery to me, but baby hot or cold. You got a hold of my imagination. I think you know what I mean. I don't. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. And I think if I did, I would call the police. <laughs> you took me high and low. You know, I'm never sure which way you're gonna go. You're such a mystery to me. You're such a mystery to me. But baby, hot or cold, you got a hold of my imagination. I think you know. Like, if I woke up every day and I thought to myself, oh, which version of, of Rod am I going to get today? Am I going to get the the angry version of him? Am I going to get the cuddly version of him? Am I going to, you know, like we go through, ugh, I just, no. <laughs> like You're dating a psychopath at that point. Yeah. You're dating someone who needs to be on medication. <laughs> yeah. And there's, and, and once you get on medication, Wonderful, but what is what was the word we used in the last second? Wayward. We don't need a wayward man true, <laughs> or a wayward woman in our relationship. I hate that the song is also called "So Emotional," and it's like a woman expressing how emotional she is in this situation. It reminds me of like there's a there's a video game called Super Princess Peach where you play as Princess Peach, mm-hmm. uh, and her powers are emotions. So <laughs> she when she gets sad, she cries like giant tears, and you know, and it. <sighs> shoots water at enemies <laughs> when she's angry it's she shoots fire out of people so it's like this uh, this idea of like well what's a what's a strong woman characteristic emotion she's just so emotional yeah that's a that's a woman all right yeah it's just so emo- like what does emotional even mean you make me so emotional you make me so wary you make me so uncertain yeah it's it's not good it's like you shouldn't want to just be feel feeling like just whip emotional whiplash all yeah. the time. You need some contentment. You need some security. Right? I think there are people though that like in relationships because like oh, it's boring. We always do the same thing. And it's like that's a committed relationship. You live a life together and then plan for those times where you can go on vacation for three weeks in a con- different country or a different part of your country. Like that's what commitment is. And it's like you can have spontaneity in your in your relationship, but it doesn't need to be this intense. Yeah. Also, the the a line I, I highlighted here is super cringy. Rain is falling down on me. Suddenly the sun comes out. Sometimes north or south of love, but never out.
hate that. I hate that. <laughs> it's no good. It's like, sometimes we're a little out of love and sometimes we're really in it, but we're never out of love. <sighs> always, it's... This is still love. You have to understand the song told me so. This this horrible situation that she's described this whole song, still love. Mm. It's not healthy. No, I think like what is it though? Really, <laughs> like is I, I can't say that if someone's like, no, I love this person, that I can't, I can't be the one like, no, you don't. Like if you, that's what you feel, but I can say like, okay, love them, but that's not healthy. That's not a healthy love. Maybe you need to figure out a different way to love them, from maybe like. A restraining order. <laughs> <laughs> I love that when we talk about these pop albums, like it, 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 it very easily rolls into us criticizing uh, the lyrics of these pop songs, <laughs> like the messages of these pop the songs. Messages are not always good. First two songs, good messages. What's this, this crap? <laughs> <laughs> Is that all we got to say about so emotional? Yes. All right, and we're uh, gonna finish off this conversation about Christina with our last song, which is another big one. What a girl wants. What a girl wants. What a girl needs. Whatever makes me happy sets you free. What a girl wants. What a girl needs. Whatever keeps me in your arms. Yeah, come on. Why does this immediately make our heads swirls? It's not even nodding. Both of us just like circled our heads. <laughs> The, the vibe is good, you know. It's like it's got that like, get the <laughs> the record scratching, the yeah. like, you know, kind of like funky guitar a little bit. I don't know. It's got the you know the backbeat, very very hip hop. This it's got a very hip hop flavor. Mm -hmm. This this version of this song. Uh, we'll talk about that. There are several versions of this song. Pittsburgh I flavor. I will explain it. Uh, but yeah, so what a girl wants. Uh, this is uh, maybe Christina Aguilera's signature song. I would say "Genie in a Bottle" for me, but this is this is up there. This is probably the song that I relate to her most during this era. Yeah. This and then "Stronger," but that's I think two albums from now. I forgot about "Stronger." That's a big one too. Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, no this this era of Christina Aguilera, like I, for a lot of people, I assume "What a Girl Wants" is mm -hmm. the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, before we talk about the song itself and and everything, uh, I, I want to lay out the writing of this song because okay. I uncovered some very weird uh, facts about it. Okay. Uh, some confusing things, in fact. So What a Girl Wants was officially, like, according to the credits, written by Shelley Pekin and Guy Roach. Okay. Now, on the Wikipedia article for this song, there were also sentences saying that the song featured a different writer that went uncredited. And I was very confused, so I was trying to get to the bottom of it. Now, What a Girl Wants, officially, without question, was actually first heard in English and in French on French singer Ophelia Winter's 1980, 1998 album, Privacy. Okay. Ophelia, I don't know. Ophelia well, Winter? I'm, French is not, I'm dyslexic. And I, I, I apologize if I butchered French. Apologize if I butchered that name, ma'am. But Ophelia Winter, uh, she, it's out there. What a girl wants, almost as you hear it here with Christina Aguilera. It's on this 1998 French you album. Can play it for us? No, I don't have that. Dang it. But, so I was like, okay, what's the story here? Now, Shelly Pekin, there are several interviews that she's done talking about how she wrote this song. It's mm -hmm. like, yeah, it, it came up to me. I, I reached out to Guy Roach, who was my writing partner. We, we, you know, developed it together. I wrote the, like, when the, 
when the lyrics came to me, I wrote it on the side of a receipt mm -hmm. so that I remember it. So that leads me to believe that she is 100% the writer of this song, mm -hmm. right? So I was like, where did this French lady come from? Now, in some of those interviews, she talks about like sending the song off after they had finished the demo to a bunch of different record labels all over the place, mm -hmm. right? Part of me thinks that it got in the hands of Ophelia Winter's record label. They decided to record it with her and she changed some of the lyrics for her version. Right. So that's why on her version of the song, she is listed as a writer. Uh, but on Christina's version, she is not. Huh. So I think it was like, officially the song was written and kind of like, you know, conceived by Shelly Pegan and Guy Roach. Mm -hmm. But there's this French lady who also had some input on it older. with her own version in 1998. So I just thought that's the best of my ability to connect the dots here. But yeah, What a Girl Wants existed before Christina Aguilera sang it. Huh. That is quite the factoid. <laughs> the it, business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the music business is weird. But this is very much uh, Christina Aguilera's version that we're going to talk about today. So what do you got to say about it? <laughs> Sorry, I was reading my notes. Um, first things first, What a Girl Wants is also a movie with Mel Gibson. It is. <laughs> and there's another movie that also has, uh, I think it inspired a different movie. Was it Amanda Bynes who was in a movie with a similar name? What a She's the man? No. Yeah, there's an Amanda Bynes movie called What a Girl Wants. Oh, yeah, she goes to England to meet her her dad, who's Darcy. There you go. So, yeah, this <laughs> Colin song, Firth. This, this song in, uh, inspired two different movies. That have nothing to do with the lyrics. <laughs> uh, um, but what does a girl want? Yeah, I. You know what? I what wanna, does a girl need? I want to ask you. What do you What do you think? What do you What do you think, sir? What do you think a girl wants? What do you think What do you think a girl needs? A strong man. Is that the want or is that a need? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I think it's actually pretty interesting. Like that we celebrate those or not celebrate. I think it's pretty interesting that those are separated. What a girl wants and what a girl needs are two different things. Are you reading the lyrics? Yeah. I mean, as far as the like opening of the song is like she, she what a girl wants, and what a girl needs is just what this guy is offering her. It's fair. The speaker of the song is just talking to a man and like because uh, in my heart was a picture of us holding hands, making plans. And it's lucky for me. You understand. I want to thank you for giving me time to breathe. Go rock your way to snow person while I got it together. Yeah. Does she want and need that? Sounds like she does. I was asking your personal opinion of what you think. Of oh, I, I, I'm, I'm not Mel Gibson. I don't know. <laughs> Do you know what the plot of that movie was? Yeah, doesn't he he get electrocuted and suddenly can hear women's thoughts? Yes. Yes. Um, okay, actually, I don't know if he was electrocuted, but something made him hear the thoughts. Uh, I think that this is really interesting. I don't think it actually gives a lot of... I appreciate that this song doesn't necessarily give a lot of like, this is what a girl wants. This is what she needs. Da-da-da-da. Because this isn't a, a manual for someone to read by and saying like, no, 
in, I found the women's manual and this is what you want. So let me give it to you. It's like the point. And you the, should be mine. It's almost like the point of the song is what a girl wants, what a girl needs is undefinable. Yeah. And so it's like, well, here it is. Here, Here's what it is for, for me. me. Right. Yes. And I appreciate that. But again, I think there's some stuff that I connected with um, that I don't necessarily think that like as a child, like thinking back, like to hearing this as a child, I a lot of the songs I would just sing to sing because I knew the words right. and I didn't really necessarily connect with all of them. I didn't, I don't think I really started connecting with the lyrics until I don't know, maybe like two years from now. And, and that's when, honestly, when we get into the, my rock phase, <laughs> my post rock, my post grunge, is that what it is? Post, your post grunge phase. My post grunge phase. I'm, I'm there for the lyrics. Um, but I think there were some things in here that, uh, I, okay, so the first verse, I want to thank you for giving me time to breathe like a Rocky waited so patiently while I got it together while I figured it out. I only looked, but I never touched. <laughs> that wasn't the part that I was I know, but I, said, like, but I did, but what? That, that, that is like what the woman wants versus what she needs. She wants to, uh, she wants to, to touch. Upon you. No, she wants to touch, but she doesn't need to. <laughs> I've got you before that. Oh, well, okay. So the part that I read, uh, it actually made me think about um, how I was before we dated. Do you I, I was going to say, is like, <laughs> is Christina, uh, is she describing me? <laughs> is she describing you? I was like, it's like, this is how we started dating. Yeah. It was just like, I, I put in, that's the thing. This isn't like I earned you situation, but no. it was like, no, I was patient. I, I let you get yourself together. Yeah. It's like, you know, we, we courted and I was patient. I, you know. There was like, it was literally like the moment that I knew it was like, oh crap, I'm going to date this dude, uh, was because we were friends, uh, for maybe a year. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. Like we yeah. were friends. Like it, we ran in the same circles, but we weren't like friends before. Like we ran in the same circles probably for four or five years. Yeah. But we and were like we good friends for a year. For a year. And we had a conversation and I was talking to you and I was like, yeah, so-and-so keeps asking me, like, what's going on between me and you? And that's so weird because, like, we're – people hardly ever see us together because people didn't. We, like, didn't really hang – whatever. It was like, I don't know. And then you were like, well, like, what would you think if we tried to do a little bit more? And I freaked out quietly on the phone so you couldn't see me or hear me uh, and said, uh, give me time to think about that. And when I came back to you, I was like, honestly, no. I can't see us together because like commitment freaks me out. And like, when I think about it, I start to just have trouble breathing and I don't want to. And your exact words is like, okay. I mean, you can see where that kind of sucks for me. Cause I was hoping for more, but I'm still going to be your friend. Like, that's fine. Like we haven't gone any farther. And I hung up the phone because I, we had that conversation over the phone and I like took a deep breath and I probably sat there for like 30 seconds before it hit me that that was absolutely the perfect thing and to like, say. And like a rock, I waited so patiently. You did. To, and while like, you got it together. You were honestly <laughs> like, I called you back and I was like, okay, <laughs> all right, let's see maybe where this can go. I'm not saying we're going to date. I'm not saying anything like that, but I will keep it in my mindscape. And then we got married four years later. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, it's, I really appreciate that, right? Like, because I can, I, because I, I think that that, that is such, that's such, like, that you respected me enough in my own crazy to be like, hey, I just want you to know that you are wanted. 
But if you do not want, cool. The status quo is fine. And that's such a like, kids, that's what this girl wanted. That's probably what a lot of girls want. Even if they're like, no, I want to chase. They probably do. But also just hear what they're actually saying. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, you're just like, what do you think a girl wants and needs? And I was like, ask them. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's the real answer for me. It's like, ask them because I don't know. And not like Ryan Gosling in the notebook, but like, <laughs> you've never seen the notebook. Nope. It's fine. I've seen it pretend once and I hated to, uh, it. Pretend to kill myself? <laughs> no. Is that what he does? No, he goes, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? He oh. says like four times in a row. Okay. I'll just show you the clip. <laughs> Ask. Asking is yeah, important. Just yeah. like having a conversation because we are adults. And even if you're not adults, even if you're 17 year olds listening to this, why are you listening to this? Kids go to bed. Um, having conversation at any age is the important thing. Like it breeds respect and consent and conversation goes both ways. Like that gave me like the opening for you, like to just like back off and still be my friend made me come back and turn and go like, hey, like that was unfair of me. I didn't even ask you like what what you wanted, like why you saw this. And then we had a conversation about it. And yep. that's the reason we decided to move forward because we like met each other at our like our, our wants and our visions and then like took our time to decide if that's, if we could align at some point, you know, that's, that's what a what girl wants and what a girl needs and what it a boy wants and what a boy needs say, I, and I, what a they wants and what a they needs. Say, what what do what do people want? What do people need? They a need, girl worth fighting for. <laughs> they need mutual respect. For reals. Mutual respect. And honestly, in the song, I don't have very much else to to like really nitpick at, but there's just like lines that I'm like that I just have like what, right? Like I only looked, but I never touched. Or whatever makes me happy sets you free. What? <laughs> Does it? I don't understand what that line means. Or um, I've never understood this saying. Like they say, if you love something, let it go. If it comes back, that's it's yours. That's how you know. Like, what does that mean? What does that mean? I don't know. Like, you know, we're just like, hey, Rod, go out and do whatever you need. Go do it. I'm not going to hold you back. If you come back. You're still yours. We're just in a relationship where we respect each other as people. I don't want to own another person. <laughs> Though in it's, it's so it sort of sounds like me. It's like it's a relationship, like despite adversity. You know, it's like yeah. you got to refine. You got to you know you got to you got to turn up the heat a little bit to refine that gold. You know, so she's like trying to make it more difficult for him so that he could prove his worth. That's what that strikes me like. Yeah, I guess I think it it. I think it might be the other way around, though. It may be her him, her saying, like, you're not holding too tight, so I feel free to come and go. It's fine to, like, I, I mean, I harp on the word. It's like, it's yours. But, like, the idea of I have freedom in this relationship, unlike so emotional, <laughs> that, like, is good, you know? Um, but also she does in a line say what a girl wants, what a girl needs, someone sensitive, courageous, sexy, cool like you. These are must-haves for her. Uh, would you say that you are sensitive? Yes. Would you say that you're courageous? Yes. Would you say that you're sexy? No. <laughs> <laughs> would you say that you're cool? No. Oh, well, Christina will not have you. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> She's far too old for me. Oh, is she? Yeah. Is she my age? Twelve, Wait, no, she was 17 in 99. <laughs> 
Um, she's one of those zillennials. Uh, she's right in the middle. Um, so your lyrics say, your lyrics have the, there was a time I was blind, I was so confused, run away just to hide it all from you. But baby, you knew me better than I know myself. They say if you love someone, let it go. Mm-hmm. That's that's what you were just reading from, right? Yeah. Uh, what if I told you those weren't the lyrics in the album version of this song? Oh. So here's where I was getting confused. There are two different versions of the song. Okay. There's the album version, which we have been listening to and mm-hmm. talking about. Then there's the single version, which is completely different. <laughs> So okay. what a girl wants was re-recorded for its single release, and that's the one that I'm most familiar with. Mm-hmm. And the lyric I just read to you that you confirmed you've been reading from—that's yeah. from the single version, huh? Uh, yeah. So Aguilera insisted on making the single version more funky. Ah. She wanted an R&B edge. Okay. So we're gonna hear a little bit of that right now, My just to give you an example. So yeah, the the opening uh, stanza is exactly the same, mm-hmm. right? Or the opening verse. Right. The second verse is completely different, <laughs> right? So, what the the version that I you know we're hearing now, th- that's the single version. That's the one that says like, uh, they say if you love something, let it go. If it comes back, it's yours. That's how you know, mm-hmm. right? That is not what is said in the album version, the 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 one that I opened this song with. Huh. So the the, the the, the, I think it's the second verse of the album version goes like this. A weaker man might have walked away, but you had faith. Strong enough to move over and understand while I got it together. While I figured it out, they say, if you love something, let it go. If it comes back, it's yours. That's how you know. Wait, is that the, exactly the same? No, there was a time I was blind. I was so confused. Yeah, it's it, the, the, the beginning part is different. And then yeah. it goes into something that's... Yeah, similar. The similar. Yeah. But yeah, it's... The second verse in the album version is really just describing him as opposed to me. Huh. And I thought that was interesting. That, that is it's interesting. Like the focus of the the verse is directed at him rather than directed at her. Huh. You know, internalizing it, you know. That is pretty interesting. Yeah. Play it. <laughs> I just throw audibles. A wicker man might have walked away, but you have faith strong enough to move over and okay pretty different from the other version it's that is indeed pretty different <laughs> yeah I, I don't think it really changes the uh the message of the song in any way other than just shifting the perspective you know it's about the woman talking about the man as opposed to the woman talking about herself mm-hmm. and how the man made her feel so hmm. i don't know okay also the uh the single version introduces a brand new bridge that's not present in the album version oh. the what a girl what a girl needs that part yeah that's not in the album version at all what is it oh, yeah. 
Yeah, that's not in the album version. No. It's just not there. there. It's just like, it's not even replaced with anything. It's just non-existent. It just goes into the last chorus or whatever. Christina really just has so much vibe and swag, though. Yeah, she pushed for this version. She, <laughs> yeah. she, want, she wanted that, that, that whole breakdown, really. Good decisions. I'm yeah. glad that she fought against uh, the... <laughs> album kings and the bridge tell the bridge kind of is more of a uh that bridge is more of a uh checklist of what a girl wants and needs yeah a girl needs somebody sensitive but tough mm. somebody there when the going gets rough ah every night he'll be given his love he'll be given his love <laughs> every night to just one girl one girl one okay. girl oh oh <laughs> so would you consider me sensitive but tough yes uh, am I somebody who's going to be there when the going gets rough? Yes. Every night will I give my love to just one girl, one girl, oh. No. <laughs> what? Some nights you watch wrestling. <laughs> some nights, some Can nights, <laughs> some nights I stay up cashing in my bad luck. Say, Kenny, Kenny Omega's not a girl. <laughs> I'm joking. So, You're so, joking he is? No, no. So, so some... <laughs> So some nights I'm giving my love to professional wrestling. <laughs> some nights I'm like, come to bed. And you're like, I'm not sleepy. You're watching Lawrence of Arabia, aren't you? It's only four hours. Also, uh, a girl needs somebody cool, but tender too. Somebody, baby, just like you. You're cool. No, you're hot to the touch. <laughs> Are you tender? Like a chicken? I don't. <laughs> I would never consider myself tender. Mm, tender. Anyway, that's that's all I got to say about what a girl wants. Uh, it's yeah. a good song. It's a good song. It yeah. is a good song. I, I I prefer the single version. I think it's more fun to listen to. It is. It's the one I remember the most because mm -hmm. I only heard this really on the radio. I didn't yeah. own the album. Yeah, I heard both. <laughs> so you know, it's a good song. What what was the the best song on the album that we talked about? The answer is reflection. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why was there such a long That's pause? That's a good one. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, speaking of What a Girl Wants, uh, that became Christina Aguilera's second consecutive U.S. Billboard Hot 100 number one single. And it also topped the charts in Brazil, Canada, New Zealand, and Spain. And here's the most interesting. That song is recognized as the first Billboard Hot 100 number one single of the 2000s. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was number one when the millennium started. When the Millennium Falconed. So good job, Christina. Excellent job, she, Christina. She heralded, she heralded us into the new millennium. Such a big voice. Such a small girl. So yeah, this is, this was a good this is a good album to talk about for 1999. Thank you. We went out with a... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So that is Christina Aguilera's debut album. Uh, her self-titled. Would, Would you, you recommend, recommend it? it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no? I would recommend three of the songs that we talked about... And come on over. Actually, I wouldn't recommend to come on over. There's a reason we didn't talk about it lyrically. Come on over. Uh, no, I, I'm like, the singles are good. Yeah, Her, except she's so got a good. She's got a good voice. <laughs> yeah. The rest of the album is very unremarkable. Yeah, I mean, I'd put it on in the background uh, and only pay attention when the songs that you know come on. <laughs> that's, that's isn't that what everyone did anyway? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, I think that's that's the best way to go with it. Uh, this is not something I would seek out anymore. Like. At all. Yeah. Uh, but what did the world think? Christina Aguilera debuted at number one on the U.S. Billboard 200. The album has since been certified octuple platinum by the Recording Industry Association of America and wow. remains Aguilera's best-selling album 
with sales of over 14 million copies worldwide. Wow. Octuple platinum. Eight whole platinums. An yeah. octopus of platinums. The album also cracked the top 10 in Canada, South Africa, New Zealand, and Switzerland. Dang. Christina Aguilera received generally positive reviews from music critics with universal praise going to Aguilera's vocal ability. As was deserved. Yes. Q Magazine said the album, quote, shows off Aguilera's pretty but powerful vocals to surprisingly impressive effect. All Music said, quote, she not only has charisma, she can actually sing, bringing conviction to those love and heartbreak songs. Mm -hmm. And the New York Times said, quote, beyond its sleek design, the album hints at a real singer's emergence. She has striking vocal power and range, if not a clue about expressing individuality. Um, excuse me. She chose the singles. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I think uh, they're throwing a little bit of shade at her there. They are. Like, I, I, maybe Christina just got in a little too late. Uh, that's fair. Yeah, she was like behind the trend. She was behind the trend. The mm. trend. But I think at the same time, she helped like kind of set the stage for later stuff, right? Like mm -hmm. we talked about, she was allowed to be a bit more raunchy than Britney was being. Yeah. I would say Britney got more raunchy because Aguilera was raunchy. Yeah, like, well, if she can do it, why can't I? Yeah, like, I remember, like, like Britney's next album, she was wearing, like, the, the skin tight. Thing? No, like, the skin tight red suit. and the, Oh. Like, the, you know, the body suit. Yeah, that, I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Sputnik Music went as far as to say that Christina Aguilera, quote, is an album that is highly representative of the better aspects of teen pop movement of the late 90s. I could get behind that. Yeah. While Entertainment Weekly wrote that Christina, quote, makes a credible bid to be the late summer soundtrack to Romantic Rebound. <laughs> Though they still called the debut album, quote, a frustratingly erratic album. Erratic? Or I'm just saying, we went from talking about so emotional to what a girl wants. The 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 full jerk from one to the other was like. That's fair. That's like, fair. That's some tonal whiplash. Yeah. Some emotional whiplash. It was oh. like. Can I just say, I like took notes on uh, what a girl wants before so emotional. So it's just like, this is what a girl wants, what a girl. And then just like, I really want you to drive me crazy. Is this what a girl wants? <laughs> no. Yeah, right. Billboard called the album, quote, quite listenable, but said the lyrics, quote, tell us precious little about the girl on the cover. Okay, sure. And Rolling Stone also criticized the album's lyrics, calling them, quote, bubble brained writing that they, quote, give Aguilera little substance to spin into gold. So I, I would say the, the, the critics liked the lyrics the least. Could you, like, do some research out of this and tell me what, like, critics do praise? in Like, everybody has their own taste, right? And Lauren Hill was praised. Oh, this fair. is no Lauren Hill. That's fair. I just think bubble-headed is really rude. When you read, when you hear so emotional... That's bubble brain. Okay, here's the thing. <laughs> she didn't write those, but all right. Hashtag and bubble she didn't brain. choose like she like especially as an aspire like an, you don't get to choose your songs. Your label does until you have some like cred. It's true. Anyway, continue. Yeah, so it's, it's like they're critic they're critical of the album, not the woman. Mm. I think in that case, it's like yeah, whoever wrote these songs and chose them for her were bubble brain. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't necessarily mean that Christina Aguilera is bubble brain. Yeah. Christina Aguilera earned the singer three Grammy nominations, including Best New Artist and Best Female Pop Vocal Performance twice. Once for Jeannie in a Bottle in 2000 and once for What a Girl Wants in 2001. Nice. She did win for Best New Artist. Okay. And in 2000, Christina Aguilera was included on the list of 200 definitive albums in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. cool. So that's from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame of all places. That's, I know. That's pretty impressive. That's really impressive. 
And what of the legacy of Christina Aguilera, the album, and the woman? To promote the album, Christina Aguilera released her first full-length home video titled Genie Gets Her Wish in 1999. Okay. I'm sure that was like I just feel like I definitely saw things, clips from that. Probably making... Played on Disney. The making of of her music video yeah. where she's like walking on the beach thinking about how she wants to be rubbed the right way. Yeah. Ugh. She, in that video, she was so, like, she's so young. She has, like, a baby face. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway. <laughs> she also performed at the Super Bowl halftime show in 2000, alongside Fred Durst of Limp Bizkit. Oh, wow. I, this is really funny. But during the performance, Durst stated, quote, I already told, let me do my Fred Durst voice. I already told you guys before. I did it all for the nookie, man. <laughs> Ew. Aguilera denied Durst's statement, saying Durst got no nookie. <laughs> Ew, she was 17. Well, in 2000, she was oh. 20. Still. I did it all for the cookie. How old is Fred Durst? 38? <laughs> it's gross. I don't <laughs> Fred, Yeah, Fred Durst, keep it classy, man. Please. <laughs> that same year, Aguilera released her second studio album, Mi Reflejo, uh, which featured five Spanish language versions of tracks from this album, in addition to four original compositions and two cover songs. Nice. She also released a Christmas album and led her first live tour titled Christina Aguilera in Concert. Ah. The most uninspired title yeah. for a tour. It's a little uninspired. <laughs> eh, what it is. And in 2019, Aguilera announced the re-release of Christina Aguilera, the album, in order to commemorate its 20th anniversary. The album was reissued on cassette, picture disc, and vinyl. Oh, in 2019? Uh-huh. It's mostly collector's items at this yeah. point. You know how people buy records like not to play them, but to own them? That's, people people do that. That's now funny. they're starting to do that with cassette tapes. Oh, okay. I don't like that. Yeah, it's like phys physical media is just a collector's item now. That's fair. That's the only reason. See, yeah, because, you know, I'm not about that. <laughs> I hate that. I hate that a lot. Um, Because we don't have space. And even if we did, I just don't like things there for, like, show. I agree. There's That's the only reason I don't buy um, K-pop uh albums because we don't have a cd player and i don't need one so i will stream everything <laughs> and where did christina aguilera go from here well in 2001 she performed the song lady marmalade alongside lil kim maya and pink yeah. for the moulin rouge soundtrack i was gonna sing some of the lyrics but <laughs> and she released her fourth album stripped the following year cementing a complete reinvention of her image to much public debate hmm. i remember around this time there was a lot of uh Talk in the media about uh, her sauciness. Oh, yeah, dear. Like, I was like, it, it happens with a lot of teen idols, isn't it? Like, yeah. You know, like, is she a role model for little girls anymore? Yeah. How oh could she gosh. dress this way? Do you remember when Miley Cyrus, like, was doing a concert somewhere and she danced and she she took, she there was a pole and she just swung around to get from one side to the other to to as movement and then released the pole. And then there was just like, she was pole dancing. This is Hannah Montana. She's supposed to be your kid. She touched a pole. She touched it in the same way she would someone would touch a wall to move past it. I Guys, gonna, I shut thought, up. I thought you were going to say when she danced with Robin Thicke. No. When he was, you know, a grown man. No. That 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 was a that was a controversial thing too with Miley. Wasn't she at that point? She like, was a grown woman. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just saying, Robin Thicke. He was he was uh, surrounding himself with uh, controversial teen idols from the beginning. Ew. <laughs> anyway, both projects by Christina Aguilera earned her two Grammy wins. All right. Good yeah, job, Christina yeah. Aguilera. Uh, we're not friends. I shouldn't call you by a nickname. Sorry. 
In 2003, she performed at the MTV Video Music Awards alongside Madonna and Britney Spears, a performance that garnered considerable media attention. Do you remember that one? Oh, did they kiss? Yes, they, they sure kissed. did. That was, <laughs> I, that was like, that was a big, I was not watching MTV Video Music Awards at that time, but like everyone was talking about it mm. on the news. My parents were complaining about it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was a different time back then. It was, it was a big thing. Anyway, to, in 2006, Christina Aguilera released the throwback album Back to Basics, which earned her another Grammy. Wow. Has she never, ever not won a Grammy for an album? Uh, yes. The Christmas albums. And well, stuff. So, yeah. I mean, she only re- earned one more, I believe, after that. Ah. Aguilera has released three more studio albums since 2010, 2010's Bionic, 2012's Lotus, and 2018's Liberation. And she has also made guest appearances for acts like Nelly, Diddy, Rune 5, Pitbull, and A Great Big World. Oh, yeah. Oh, I really like that song that she does with A Great Big World. Speaking of that song, uh, for it, she won her most recent Grammy in 2015. Huh. Did A Big World also get a Grammy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they, they, all, <laughs> they all got one. Good. Uh, she's also branched out into film and television. In 2010, she starred alongside Cher in the Golden Globe winning film Burlesque. She also appeared in 2017's The Emoji Movie, oh. 2018 Zoe, and the ABC drama series Nashville. Hmm. Oh, yeah. And she's all over The Voice. I was just going to say that. She served as a coach on the first three seasons of The Voice, as well as in season five, eight, and ten. Yep. With estimated sales of over 75 million records, Christina Aguilera is recognized as one of the world's best-selling music artists. In 2009, she was classified as the 20th most successful artist of the 2000s by Billboard. Dang. I like that because it didn't say women. It just said artists. So it's like, yes, they're all, that's great. Yep. She has earned five Grammy Awards, one Latin Grammy Award, two MTV Video Music Awards, one Billboard Music Award, and a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Time Magazine has listed her among the 100 most influential people in the world. VH1 has ranked her among the greatest women in music, and she has been cited as one of the greatest singers in contemporary pop music, ranked among the best of all time by magazines such as Rolling Stone and Consequences of Sound. Lastly, Christina Aguilera and her work have influenced various recording artists, including Ariana Grande, Charlie XCX, Demi Lovato, Dua Lipa. I love Dua Lipa. Haley Williams, Kelly Clarkson, Lady Gaga, Miley Cyrus, Selena Gomez, and Sam Smith. Just to name a few. Yeah, I like a lot of those people. It's like I had to keep the the one man for last. (laughs) But she has inspired many people. She Mm. is a pop superstar, uh, and she inspired many other pop superstars. Yeah. But we'll talk about her more. Uh, Never. <laughs> that is the end of Christina Aguilera. And uh, that's the last time we're going to see her. So thanks, Christina. Thank you, Christina. Thanks Ms. for stopping Aguilera, by. You're great. Oh, but that's that. Almost that. Almost the end of our show. We need to decide who won. Oh, I thought we were going to decide about the, the Later. album covers. Later. Um, Me? I don't think so. I also don't think so. I was like, Dream th- like uh, <laughs> we talked about Dream Theater for two hours. Like, it's, it's strong musically. The lyrics were pretty engaging for both of us. Hmm. Now I give it to Dream We Theater. didn't, there were no stinkers like so emotional. But did it win a Grammy? No. <laughs> but they weren't going to. <laughs> they weren't. No. They're, they're we, no we Radiohead. We can give it to Dream Theater this, this go ahead. I'm not so, going to yeah. fight you on it's that. Dream Theater's best album. I, I'm, I'm happy to say they earned it. <laughs> but uh, as we all know, music albums cannot be judged by the music alone. We have to look at the album artwork. So Give we, it to yeah. me, sir. So I have uh, album artworks for Metropolis I, Part 2, Scenes this, from a Memory, and Christina Aguilera. This is literally your favorite shirt. 
like the Dream Theater Metropolis Part Two is just a shirt that you wear all the time. Your mom bought it for me. Oh yeah. Yeah. So describe uh, the album cover for Metropolis Part Two scenes from memory. It's a face made up of other faces. It's a collage of a face. It's a face made up of other pictures in a face, and it's in reds. It's meant to like evoke how you know one's identity or person is built up on like memories you know it's like moments from your life build up who you are memory yeah it's it's nice i think it's it's definitely an interesting cover uh with the little uh dream theater stamps in the the side uh yeah it's like one of those things that are hard to like kids just like while you're listening to this look it up it's really hard to um describe but dream theater metropolis part two scenes from a memory uh, it's nice. It's like, it's not, it's, it's, it's a collage and, but, and it's eclectic, but it's not, it's cramped. a cla- It's classy, but it's not cramped. Yeah. It's classy. Uh, this album cover was created by artist Dave McKean, who had created similar mosaics as he called it, uh, such as the DVD cover for the film 13 ghosts and the cover of a Sandman comic book. So oh. apparently Mike Portnoy, the drummer of dream theater. Yeah. Yeah. This definitely looks like Sandman, uh, Neil, Neil, Neil Gaiman, Sandman. Mike Portnoy, the drummer, saw McKean's previous work and asked him to create something similar, a mosaic made of photographs of a person's past life. So there you go. Nice. Uh, and then we move over there. We see, uh, if we come on over, we can see Christina Aguilera's. <laughs> She's just leaning against a wall, staring directly into the camera with slightly cold eyes, blonde hair, styled, and a shirt with uh, her name, Christina, in black, Aguilera in white, and then a circle. The, the thing I noted about this album is seeing pictures of Christina Aguilera from 1999. She looks about five years older in this photograph than she does in any other photograph I saw from 99. Huh. Makeup. And just to prove my point, if you scroll over one more, you'll see a picture from the same uh, like uh, session, photography session. Yeah. She looks way younger in the not album cover photo. Yeah, that's makeup and lighting. Yeah, that's that's all it is. I'm just like, it's so interesting that like a little bit of makeup and some lighting can make someone look five years older than they are yeah yeah i mean so i i think like in terms of winners though i think i'd give it to uh dream theater again i agree because i think it's more interesting yep it it definitely it sells the the theme of the album as well yeah so yeah, good job dream theater you won them both you did it but you can help uh vote with us uh, on twitter of course we'll mm-hmm. put polls up for who you think won uh the, the 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 actual album right for this year and who had the best album artwork yeah and on instagram too maybe, mm-hmm. maybe. <laughs> what's next up on our agenda here uh runners up all right who could we have been listening to if it was not dream theater uh we could have for you been listening to californication by the red hot chili peppers uh also that that would have that's another one of those like touchstone 1999 albums it's like one of the most important albums of the year californication it just it, like Red Hot Chili Peppers. It might just be because we grew up in California, but like it's so ingrained in our culture. The Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like it seems like every hour on the hour, you hear a Red Hot Chili Peppers song on the radio. It's true, and a lot of them are from Californication. It's the reason I don't listen to the radio. I do not like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. This is at all. I'm so glad we didn't have to sit through and dissect the lyrics for. Oh, Red their Hot lyrics Ch- are nonsense. Yes, pure I'm, nonsense. I'm really, really glad that that was not that alternate reality. Just has to deal with that. <laughs> but it's it's right all now, about the it? it's all about the vibe and the swagger that nope. they have. 
Don't we, like any of we, it. We have talked about Flea from I was like, no more times. Flea. Flea's not allowed on this podcast anymore. <laughs> um, we also could have been listening to The Liquid Tension Experiment 2. Oh, that's a better album than the first one. So we talked oh. about their first album in 98. Uh, Liquid, Temp- Liquid Tension Experiment 2, I think, is a better album. Oh, okay. I think you said that, yeah, because they they got they found their groove even more so. Yeah, and they the two members were not as frustrated by their actual project, so that their side project. I just I don't know. It's just like I liked the songs better. Really. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, we also could have been listening to Rage Against the Machines. Is the Battle of L.A. something? Yeah, that's. Oh, okay. I I love Rage Against the Machine. Uh, also, just a. Uh, I feel like just a radio staple. I hear them on the radio all the time. Uh, I don't. I may. I probably do if I'm in the car with you. I just don't know who they, they are. They they were like they were fusing rock and rap before Linkin the Park. the big <laughs> new metal craze that's mm-hmm. gonna kick off here anytime. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like you know they were they were doing rap rock in, two, in like '92. Oof. Yeah. So. Pioneers. They were they were doing good work out there. Okay. Cool. And um the Aquabats. The Aquabats versus the Floating Eye of Death. I've talked about it. The Aquabats are so much fun. They're a they're a ska punk band. This is at the time. This was like their last album where they were doing ska punk, and they would move into a Devo synth pop kind of groove after this. But mm-hmm. this album's fun. <laughs> I think this is the one with Chemical Bomb on it. It's oh, a wow. song. It's it's a happy song about the end of the world. Oh, well, I mean, we need that now. <laughs> okay, for me. Um, I didn't realize that I had like the numbers written down of how many songs I had listened to that oh, I can wow. recognize from how about each of that? them. So, uh, least on our list, uh, we had we could have been listening to S Club Seven, which nobody knows who that is. But you, I, you brought that up, and I was like, "What is that?" <laughs> to, you know, and I look it up, and it's like this. It looks like a like a college brochure. It's like, <laughs> it's like it's like seven British, multi yeah, seven like, multicultural teens. Yeah, yeah. I listened to. I they had a TV show. And I like watch their show and also listen to their music. But they, so like a lot of it's like stuck in my head, but it's not a true runner up, but it was more so than anything like, I mean, other than these other ones. Um, it could have been Britney one more time. Wow. We had we had it. The Britney Christina War. Was yeah. That, and Christina won for you. Yeah. Britney, uh, though I listened to all of the songs, like I've listened to the full albums of all of these ones I'm about to say, like the ones that I could remember. Because, right, like, I listen to all the Christina, but some of the, like, I don't remember so emotional. <laughs> but I definitely, like, listen to it. Um, but Britney, I could only remember, like, four. Mm. Like, I could sing along with them. And I was like, oh, okay. Including Hit Me Baby one more time. Yeah. Uh, and then it could have been Destiny's Child's Riding on the Wall. Is that the one with Bootylicious? I don't know. <laughs> Is that, what other songs do they have? They have a lot of songs. I can't <laughs> tell you if it was on this album or not. It's I don't have a good memory. <laughs> Everything happens at the same time in my in my timeline, reeking. Uh, but I, I had five songs in this uh, album that I recognized that I could sing along with, like really quickly. And we ended up listening to Christina Aguilera, which I also had five songs. So mm. this was literally a flip of a coin. I was like, could have been that or Destiny's Child, huh? Yep, could have been. We could have been listening to Destiny's Child, kids. Uh, is that we a couldn't good handle? Thing? We couldn't handle this. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that could have been the album. I don't know. I don't know, but those were our runners up for 1999. Nice. Nice. And that is the end of our show. Yeah, it is. So let's close out with some plugs. As I mentioned earlier, you can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram and take part in our polls and see all the things we share. Yeah. At Media Made Show on both of those platforms. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. At Media Made Show. 
Uh, do us some favors. You can leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Hey, just leave us a comment. Send send a message out to us. To tell us that you're listening. Yeah. Uh, because it is nice to know that. It is nice. Um, you could also uh, follow me personally on Twitter, at Rod the Master. Uh, if you like pictures of Kirby and Zelda art and silly pictures of cats sometimes, <laughs> you do that. Um, I also write for a video game website called ZeldaDungeon.net. We write all about the Legend of Zelda video game series. So if you like that, check that out. And I also host a wrestling YouTube show called Keep Kayfabe. It's K-A-Y-F-A-B-E. We cover our favorite professional wrestlers. So be on the lookout for that. Yeah. I have no plugs because I don't have any working media. But something's coming up, maybe. Maybe in four or five months. <laughs> Taming Tales on YouTube. Check it out. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> or don't. That's the end of our show. So, um... I was trying to think what we're going to close out with, and I think the best thing to do is the end of What a Girl Wants, the single version, the funky version. Yeah. And, uh, yes, because, you know, it, it has that big it has that big bridge. It has, like, you know, it's like almost like a gospel-type thing going on, right? Like, mm-hmm. Or, like, a call-and-response section that's not there in the original version. Yeah. So it sounds like a good uh, closing song. Good send-off. So that's what we're going to go with. And, uh... We will see you all next time with our TV of 1999. And remember, kids, do not mourn me. Just burn my body and have milk tea in my honor. <laughs>